This episode is brought to you by Thorn, and I have some incredible news for any of you that are in the military, first responder, or medical professions. In an effort to give back, Thorn is now offering you an ongoing 35% off each and every one of your purchases of their incredible nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is the official supplement of CrossFit, the UFC, the Mayo Clinic, the Human Performance Project, and multiple special operations organizations. I myself have used them for several years, and that is why I brought them on as a sponsor. Some of my favorite products they have are their Multivitamin Elite, their Whey Protein, the Super EPA, and then most recently, Cinequil. As a firefighter, a stuntman, and a martial artist, I've had my share of brain trauma and sleep deprivation, and Cinequil is their latest brain health supplement. Now, to qualify for the 35% off, Go to thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Click on sign in and then create a new account. You will see the opportunity to register as a first responder or member of military. When you click on that, it will take you through verification with GovX. You'll simply choose a profession, provide one piece of documentation, and then you are verified for life. From that point onwards, you will continue to receive 35% off through Thorn. Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, for a one-time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not I have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you will get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, 
Francisco Morales. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Ted Drever. Now, Ted is the co-founder of Iron Legion Athletics, the very first CrossFit gym I joined here in Ocala. So we discuss a host of topics from the incredible genesis from the backyard of a farm to the downtown location it's in now, the incredible Down Syndrome community, training the tactical populations, Fenrir's mayhem, and so much more. Before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Ted Drever. Enjoy. Well, how long have we known each other for? Wow. I think you came by the gym um, 2013. Okay. 14, so, somewhere around there. It's yeah, been a while. So like nine-ish, eight, nine years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So obviously when I first started, there was no Behind the Shield podcast. Nope. And then you've seen it kind of growing and growing. And you know, yeah. some of the guests have been people that have come in through the doors. Um, and I want to do this for a while, but I think now the timing is perfect because the evolution, the Wolf Brigade affiliation, the jiu-jitsu, I mean, all these things. So sure. um, for people listening, very first thing, where are we sitting right now? We are sitting in downtown Ocala um, in the office here at Iron Legion. It's a nice office. We have a, a view of the main street downtown. We're right in the heart of Ocala, old historic district of Ocala. We've got restaurants and bars and businesses all around us. A lot of small business type stuff going on all around us. Um, I would call it, you know, the hub of, of Ocala. Beautiful. Well, we'll get into how you found yourself here. I want to do the whole journey of a, uh, a brand new CrossFit box and how that in a, in a, in a good and bad climate evolves to, sure. to being in such a prime location now. But let's start your timeline. So tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, how many siblings. Okay. Um, was born in Detroit, Michigan in 1975. So the year of the last cool car and truck. Um, they don't make cars like that anymore. Trucks like that anymore. So 1975 mm -hmm. in Detroit, Michigan. And then I think once my hip, feet hit the ground, we we're pretty much on the road. So every six months to a year, we were always moving someplace new my entire life until I moved here to Ocala back in 2004. So um, my dad was in construction. He was a, uh, a union millwright and he took jobs all around the world. So mainly in the, in the United States, but we also did some overseas stuff too, as we were growing up. So, um, you know, like I said, we would travel all over the country. I don't think there's a state or a city that I haven't lived in at some point. Um, we grew up in my brothers and I and my sisters grew up in campgrounds uh, all over the place. So whether we were in the tent or sleeping in the back of the truck uh, while my dad was on a construction site somewhere, that's kind of my upbringing. So 
um, different, different schools, different sports teams, different high schools, my entire life. So just very nomadic lifestyle. Um, and I've, I've always, uh, kind of envied the, the small town guy that grew up in the same place their whole life. So, uh, I feel like now I finally got my goal, which is a weird goal. When I talk to people, they're all like, Oh, travel, travel, go everywhere. I'm like, I've fucking traveled all over the place. So it's kind of nice to settle down a little bit. So I had a similar thing. I grew up in the farm, so I stayed in my town for a while. Once I started moving, it was gypsy lifestyle for 20-plus years. What is it that you love so much about setting your roots in somewhere? Just getting to know people um, and find out the – you know, you, you meet people and it's almost that fight club thing where they talk about a single dough, single serving type thing. You get like that little snippet of who that person is, but you don't really get to know who they are on a on a big scale until you actually live somewhere for a while and you really get to kind of get ingrained to an area and find out you know people are you know they're like this or they're like that right they're not always this um this white picket fence whitewashed bullshitty version that they're telling everybody they are once you really kind of dig in you can kind of peel behind the veil when you live somewhere for a while you can kind of see how all that works when you're on the road and you're traveling all the all the time i think you're you're always kind of subjected to the fake version of somebody the uh the mask Right. But the longer you're, you live in one area, I think you get to kind of peel that away and you start seeing people for what they are, who they are. Now, which countries did you find yourself in? We did, uh, Germany mainly. So, um, Cologne and, um, Hanover were two of the biggest jobs that my dad did over there. So we were over there for quite a bit. And then we traveled all over the place from uh, France to Denmark to all the surrounding countries, Czechoslovakia, all that type of stuff. And, and it was cool, you know, getting around. I, I just really wish I had the opportunity. I'll even say that now, even though I said boohoo on travel, but I would like to go back to Europe at some point before it's completely trashed and see it again. You know, at 15, 14, 15 years old when I was over there, um, I did, I kind of took it for granted. I thought it was really cool that I could drink and that was probably <laughs> took advantage of that a little too much. Um, but I'd like to get back over there and, and see it again, you know, from older eyes, a little older aspect, a little more, um, settled aspect, I guess. It always, uh, makes people question when i say i gave up alcohol at 19 which i did and they're like what <laughs> it's a different nobody understands yeah <laughs> if you lived in europe you understand and then started again at what was i 22 and it was a downward spiral from there yeah um all right well then while you were young with this international perspective when i grew up there was a very kind of blinkered view of other countries especially france by mainly people who hadn't traveled and you go overseas and you're like wait a second these people aren't all shitbags they're actually really nice um oh this is a good idea they do in this country with that kind of international lens that you had did it make you think a little differently than some of the kids that you were at school with or you as you started growing up i think so um just getting around and and in places like that the world is just a bigger place you start to to um you see different worldviews really early on that, um, you know, if you are kind of trapped in a small town or you don't really travel too much, you kind of get stuck with that viewpoint in that area. So a, a good example would be uh, my brother was in Germany a little bit longer than I was. He got there right before I did. And we went to Nice. I think it's Nice, France, the, the coastal town or the it was on the water. So we went there and um, there's this platform out in the water. 
little ways out. So we both raced each other out to the platform, swam out to the, the platform off this beach. And we got there and we, you know, get up, climb up onto the platform. And we're sitting there and John, my brother, he's, there's a girl swam out behind us and I didn't see her. And he's like, you're in for a treat, right? So she swims all the way out to the platform and sure enough, puts her arms up on the platform, pushes herself up and her boobs come out of the water and no top on. So climbs up and just sat up there and talked to us the whole time. And I'm like, 14, 15 years old. John was uh, two years younger than me. And we're both just like, this is fucking awesome. Right. But it was everywhere. It, it was just more of an accepted thing. And it's not just that. I mean, that's just the one thing that kind of sticks out in a young teenager's mind. You know, it kind of pops out, but like pops out. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <I did that. laughs> but it, it opens your eyes up a little bit that like sometimes, you know, the, the viewpoints in these small towns can get a little bit, uh, a little bit too, too enclosed um and there's just a big world out there there's a lot of different kind of peoples out there a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of things that have to be taken into account um when you're making decisions and deciding your way in life and it was cool to have that type of experience being over in europe and and seeing other things outside of the united states i mean the united states is huge too i mean you can go from state to state campground to campground you're going to run into different kinds of people across the country but you know going to other countries as well good exposure there too i mean when i went to south america that's a whole other story you get down there it's a, a lot more third world you're running into different things like that down there that were you know a little bit more sketch uh and you realize that you know big bad government big bad u.s military government's not down there to protect your ass when you're outside of the, the country so uh it's different you know so yeah it does it does have an impact on how i approach life and how i walk through life yeah well speaking of the breasts I've always found it so strange coming from another country into America that our regular television, they'll blur out a butt crack or a nipple, but then show John Rambo murdering a thousand Vietnamese and that's fine. And it's just, it's a blows really my strange mind. thing. Still blows my mind to this day. I, you know, I, I can't, there can't be boobs on TV, but you're right. Like mass murder is just completely acceptable because it's cool. Right. You know, and I've got my son growing up in this world where I have, believe it or not, I have a blue collar background um, and I've got a calendar on my workbench in my garage with all my tools um, with naked ladies on it. Um, it's not socially acceptable anymore, but I grew up that way. So I grew up in the trades as well in construction and you'd open the toolboxes and you'd have calendars up and different things like that. It was really normal for us to see that type of thing. So growing up to me, it's not a big deal. My son goes by it all the time. Like, dad, that's so gross. What's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I'm a guy. I like boobs. You don't like boobs? You're 12. No, I don't like boobs. I mean, it's just, uh, but it's again, it's, they don't ever see it, right? It's just, uh, it, and it's, uh, it's so taboo, but. The video games that he plays and the violence that he's that he sees all the time that's completely normal and, and that's the shit that's just upside down for me yeah i don't want to see a, a pair of boobs on a calendar but let me go play my game or i'm gonna murder a bunch of hookers <laughs> right yeah. right yeah, yeah it's crazy <laughs> yeah well when you look back at your childhood um so many people just in general especially in the military and in law enforcement and uh, excuse me in the the first responder professions it's amazing how when you go back to their early life there are contributing factors that sent them into this profession that contributed to maybe some of the the mental health challenges when you look back now with your 47 year old eyes are there elements of your childhood that you think we can consider traumatic traumatic um i would say um Family-wise, you know, my dad was on the road a lot, so 
he had a part of our upbringing, but he wasn't around a lot of times. So there were times where we would be dropped off at grandma's house or we would be in different spots, um, raised by different people and, you know, have a, a stepmom that was doing her best to, to, uh, to be a great parent, but sometimes a little bit overbearing and over the top. Um, and that got a little bit oppressive, something that, uh, you know, I, I thought, at, at that age that I was rebelling against her oppression that, you know, that level of, of responsibility that she was taking on. Cause my dad wasn't around. Um, but then I find out later with my son, you know, I think it's just a teenager thing that they're just going to re they're going to rebel regardless. They're going to fight. Um, but you know, more, more to that note, um, very stern Christian style upbringing. And it's just something that, you know, I would just do my best to reject even to this day. I just, I'm just completely against pretty much anything organized religion, organized anything, um, really drives me crazy. The, um, but I also learned, you know, if I wanted to do sports, I had to do it myself. If I wanted to do anything, you know, my dad was probably too busy or on the road. My stepmom was, too, was trying to balance the entire family. So like if I wanted to succeed at anything in life, I had to do it myself. So I didn't have, my parents weren't always sitting right there in the bleachers watching every sport that I did. Um, more times than not, I was searching for a ride home or, or walking home or trying to find quarters to call somebody to come and get me so I could go back home after training or practice or any of those types of things growing up. So, um, I just learned that, you know, if I want it, I got to go get it. Nobody's going to give it to me. My parents were going to really necessarily help me with it. Um, you know, they were going to keep the bills paid. We were going to have a place to stay. But outside of that, if I wanted anything more, it was on me. And I think that, you know, looking back, sure, as a kid, you complain about that a lot. But when you grow up, it just made me harder, it made me harder and tougher and stronger. And, you know, experiences like that throughout my life just made it where I was able to take on more and more challenges growing up because, I don't really need anybody to guide me the way, you know, I'm a little bit anti-government. I'm a little bit anti-authority because I like running my own shit. I like doing my own things my own way. And I think it's a product of that. Yeah, I did. I did martial arts. I mean, I wasn't super young. I was kind of mid teens onwards, but I think, I mean, I won regional titles, national titles. And uh, I think my, my mom saw one tournament. That was it. And my dad never saw me fight ever. So I can, totally understand like you you're happy but you kind of go back and you just got this trophy and you're like oh you just go stick it on the shelf yeah i mean as a teenager i'd win swim meets and you know nobody'd be there and yeah i won cool you know and i can remember not too long ago even even this weekend you know there's there wasn't anybody at the competition that i went to but i didn't tell anybody about it too much because it was the first one for me so i wanted to see how it all went but i podiumed and i'm like well fuck nobody's here to take a picture of the damn podium Right. But then it was that familiar feeling kind of washed over me like eh, it's always been that way. Fuck it. I'm doing this for me. I'm not doing it for the photos. I'm not doing it for my parents. I'm not doing it for any of that kind of shit. I'm doing it for me. So, you know, I learned that early on. So now you talked about swimming. What else were you playing school age? I think, um, you know, in my younger years between my brothers and I, we were um <laughs> everywhere we went. If I really kind of boil it down, we spent a lot of time in the south. So it was always hot. Uh, so most of the camps and different things that we did were swimming based and we lived in Texas. That was probably the longest we ever lived anywhere. Um, in my 
early, early teens, preteens, we were in, uh, in Texas and we swam a lot. So we got really good at swimming. So, but we've done gymnastics. I did, uh, some soccer playing. We played a little bit of football, um, even a little bit of wrestling, different things like that. So I touched on and played most sports, but the probably the most constant sport, my wife, would argue to the fact because she can smoke me in the pool any day of the week. But uh, I was a big swimmer. I was really good at swimming. But with travel and all those types of things and bouncing from school to school to school and then learning that marijuana is a really fun drug, I just kind of stopped swimming at a certain point and just started stop, smoking stop weed more. floating. Yeah. With a bag of Doritos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was that. And then uh, I had uh, my little girl really young. I had a, a daughter at about 16 or 17 is when I had her. And, um, my dad's like, you know, your, your teenage years are over, son. It's time for you to go to work. So you can finish school, but you need a fucking job because we're not paying for your kid. You made that mistake. You need to suck it up and you need to get a job and you need to go to work. So I did. And I went to work and I didn't really get the, um, the high school sport side of it much after that. It was more work every hour available to me. I was searching for jobs, looking for jobs or working, um, and trying to make money to support my kid. So I always did. So what does that look like as a 16, 17-year-old kid Terrifying. becoming a father? Terrifying. It was the scariest thing that I've, I've – uh, even to this day, I've done some pretty scary shit. Swam with sharks, jumped out of planes, jumped off all kinds of random shit. But one of the scariest things was was having a kid. And I thought when it was the coolest thing when I first heard about it because everybody was mad at me, right? So as a teenager, you're like, I finally got what I want. Everybody's pissed off at me. Great, Right. And then you find out, well, fuck, man, I'm in quite a pickle because, like, money doesn't grow on trees. And I hadn't even really understood the concept of money too much at that point. You know, at 16 years old, I knew what it was, but it wasn't it wasn't a guiding factor in my life. It wasn't something that I was pursuing um, those types. I was still trying to be a kid. And I just overdid it one time at a party being a kid and ended up the next day with a pregnant girl. So um, very terrifying, very scary. Uh, you know, tiptoeing through life with a, with a baby as a baby is hard. Um, you know, and I see a lot of these kids these days that, you know, they're having kids in their twenties, early twenties, and, and they're always talking about panic, panic, panic. You know, this was, you know, they're all, somebody's always telling them, you know, that was the worst thing you ever did. It was bad. It was what a terrible thing. It's so scary. It's this. And, uh, but later on in life, you know, I started having kids again in my thirties. And I was just recently a buddy of mine, Paul, um, his wife got pregnant and he's in his late thirties and he's like, you know, I'm really tired of all these guys talking about how, how awful life's going to be now that I've had this kid. And I said, I said, Paul, I think what it is, um, when it comes down to kids is, um, it comes down to where you're at in life, right? When you're a teenager or you're in your early twenties and you're still trying to figure your shit out. Right. And you're out there and you're still trying to find a job and you're trying to find out who you are as a person. You know, you're, you're struggling with bills and you're struggling with all these kind of things. And then you throw a kid on there. It just makes it terrifying. It does make it tough. But when you're in your thirties or your, your, your mid thirties or those types of things, your life should be, it's not always, but it should be pretty well figured out. You should know who you are as a person. You should know what your direction in life is. Your career could, should be pretty well established. Um, those types of things, those stressful pieces of life are kind of hammered into place now. And to introduce a child into that environment is a lot of fun. It's really cool. And congratulations to you, Paul, for having a kid. And I think you're going to fucking love it. I think you're going to be a great dad because you're at the right age for it. You know, when you're doing things that early, it's tough and it's really hard. Um, and if you don't have family support like I really didn't, it's even harder. 
And you got to really, really be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, and you're the only person for that kid. That kid depends on you 100%. You, they're not depending on anybody else. They're depending on you. You need to depend on you as well. So you've got to step yourself up. And I, I think that was another thing that also kind of escalated me forward as far as in my career and different things like that too. So I've got to watch it from two different lenses. I had Ty when I was 33, I think. And then Becky had Ethan when she was 21. So she was, you know, young, scared kid. And yeah. I was kind of older, wiser, firefighter by that point. Um, but one of the interesting things that I heard, and it was the same kind of crowd saying it. It's like, oh, well, you never be able to travel and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, do you know how fucking portable a baby is? You put them in a little chair with a handle and yeah. you take them wherever, <laughs> wherever you wherever want to go want. so it's also mindset like it, it can is. be a you know ball and chain if you look at it as a glass half empty right or you can be like all right there's another layer to some of these challenges my brother he had a, um, a little boy and they wanted one more and god gave him triplets oh my god so now he has four <laughs> so you know that is a, a much bigger issue but i mean sure your first child yeah i mean of course the daycare and work i think is the biggest struggle that most people have affording daycare yeah. whilst working but there are so many naysayers about negative sides of becoming a parent becoming a parent is the most beautiful thing that can happen it's I just agree. the logistics that sometimes you just gotta rethink i agree with you i agree and, and that's you know my brother uh, recently started having kids too, and he's you know in his forties. He's got two beautiful boys now, and I told him uh, with Luther, Luther's probably three, four now, and I told him I said wait till you hold your son and his eyes open and you lock eyes. It's the the coolest experience. I, I can't even explain it. It's it's a it's a life changing shift where you are now responsible for this child and you will be and just like you will accept that responsibility at that moment with great joy and honor and respect like that. That is like the best moment of your entire life. I can't explain it to you to a point where that you're going to get it until you do it yourself. He called me an hour after the child was born. He's like, I know exactly what the fuck you were talking about. And I was like, I know it's cool. It's the coolest with all of my kids. Every time it's like, I am the center of this kid's universe and I need to make sure that they become great. That's my job from now on. You know, your whole, I'm looking for a reason for, for life. Boom. That's enough for me. My kids. Absolutely. Well, how did you and your daughter's mother navigate her childhood when obviously you weren't madly in love and then had a child early on you're talking um my first child my first child i was 16 my later later um i started again in my 30s so i waited until the other one grew all the way up which was funny but my first um we didn't really know each other that well we met at a party um didn't cover my rig that kind of thing and boom she was pregnant and i we were friends I don't know that we were actually a, uh, we were never married. We never did any of that. Well, I was a kid. We were, she was a kid. We were just all kids. Um, and we tried to make a go of it, but, um, it didn't really, it didn't really work out. Um, she didn't have the best background. I was traveling a lot. Um, I went and got, uh, I think because of my dad urging me a lot, I went and got full custody of her, um, which was shockingly, um, I thought it was going to be impossible being a young, 18 year old kid 
a boy, man, right? And I they, take it uh, that wasn't in Florida, no? No, it was Michigan. Yeah. yeah. I, I know and, from experience that wasn't in Florida. Yeah. So <laughs> somehow we won, and I think we won because, uh, or I won, because um, her mom literally just didn't show up, uh, which was very sad. And so I took custody of, of my daughter, Sarah, and we, we, I took her everywhere. You know, I was still doing construction, but I tried traveling and I tried doing everything that I could. You know, we got to where she was, um, you know, seven, eight years old. And I just noticed that I was giving her the exact same lifestyle that my dad gave me and just traveling all the time and never, I was never around and it just wasn't, it wasn't cool. And yeah, we weren't her and her mom or her mom and I weren't best of friends. We just barely acquaintances in high school. Right. So it wasn't something that we continued or carried on. We were just, I was just kind of stuck with this woman now because I had a kid with her for the rest of my life. So, um, it's just different. Um, that was a long time ago, man. So to, to really go into detail on that, there wasn't a whole lot to, there wasn't a lot of relationship there. Um, eventually my daughter wanted to move back to her mom's house and I let her probably a big mistake, but I did. And she moved back there and things she's been happy and living in Michigan ever since. And now she's in her thirties and she has two kids of her own and I'm a grandfather. So cool in that aspect, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's interesting. Thank you for sharing that because you don't normally get to hear of a young, young, young parent. Normally they get plastered over reality TV and mocked. Sure. So yeah. to hear that, you know, now you're a granddad and, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she's thriving. So that's brilliant. Well, you talked about working. Am I right in understanding that you followed in your dad's footsteps in the construction world? I did. Um, because of the kid thing, um, I, it's still to this day is one of the things that when things are str- when I'm struggling or I have a goal or something that's consuming my mind and I can't think of anything else to do. Um, I, I will find busy work. I will find shit to do, whether it's uh, a construction project, uh, build this piece of furniture, um, work on things, rebuild a sidewalk, do things like that. I'm really good with my hands. So, being able to focus on tasks like that helped me give, it gives me peace of mind. It gives me an opportunity to think. And I don't think too much about the shitty situation I may be in at that moment. Well, in my late teens, I mean, I was in a ton of shitty situations. So when my dad kind of handed me the construction career, uh, I went full bore, full tilt into it because I was getting paid. Not, I mean, my dad moved on and he went out and, and continued on his own construction jobs. He kind of put me on a, a path with some other people. And then it was up to me to make my own way. So I did. Um, and it was, I started sweeping the floor at a UPS facility where that, uh, some guys were building. And then I turned out they handed, started handing me power tools. And the next thing I knew I was welding and I was putting up the steel and doing all the other shit. And before long I was running crews and I was all over the damn place. So, but it was a, it was a good fit for me because it was just very physical. Um, I was able to get my hands on things, um, cut things, burn things, weld things, you know, working with steel all the time, all around the country. So it was just a great fit as far as that goes. So yes, I did. I followed in his footsteps, but I didn't follow him around the country. He went and did his own thing and I went and did with a completely different company and moved on and did mine as well. So what did you witness about the physical and or mental health in the construction world? The time that you spent in it? It was awful. It was, um, it was guaranteed that. <sighs> It was guaranteed that I was my relationship, if any, was going to end in divorce. I was going to be overweight and fat and uh, out of shape by my 40s easily. Uh, there was there was one moment where my dad and I were on the same job. And I remember pulling up on the job site with my dad in the truck. 
And it was probably one of the first ones that I did. I was still a teenager. And the superintendent and one of the foremans were walking up the loading ramp into the facility that we were working on. One of them was hugely overweight, superintendent. And then the other guy was could barely fucking walk because his knees were just jacked from too much shit life, right? So I'm looking at an obese, out of shape, divorced guy, another broken down, busted guy, not even in his 40s yet. And his knees are fucking slammed. His ankles are shredded. And he's completely out of shape. Both of them smoking cigarettes, walking up there. And, and my dad is like, that is not the life that I want for you. He says, you can be a success in this type of stuff. He says, but if you follow guys like that, that's how you're going to fucking end up. And I never wanted that. So I would always try to find a way that to learn what I could from those guys, delve whatever information I could get from them. Cause they're good. A lot of those guys know what they're doing in the construction trades. Um, but their mental, their lifestyles and different things like that. I never wanted to adopt. I wanted to know how they turn their wrenches a certain way that they turned them, how they'd burn a, a weld the way that they welded, you know, the different things that they did. I wanted to learn that. But their lifestyles and those types of things, I wanted to stay as far away from that as possible. Um, and I knew that at some point I was going to have to leave the trades to do that because it just seemed like that was endless. Um, and as I worked myself through the careers, through the trades, I started getting into upper management positions and I didn't see it much different. You know, I'd get into uh, a corporate lifestyle and I had a senior project management boss and the dude's been divorced twice. Um, the guy above him, the chief of operations at the last company that I worked for, again, another two or three time divorced guy, you know, they're all working child support and all this other kind of shit. And they're all look like shit. They look like absolute garbage because they're working ass tons of hours for a uh, little pay. And they're thinking it's a passionate type job. It's not. It's a thankless job. They're just a face. They're being treated like a face and they're going home to their, their shit life. And it was just nothing about it impressed me. Um, I, I, you know, everyone's like climb the corporate ladder, climb the corporate ladder. I'm like, I'm looking at the top rung of the corporate ladder and the guy that's, that has it is no one I want to be overweight, divorced a bunch of times, piece of shit that goes out on the bars trying to be a young kid again. Like I just, I can't. I couldn't fathom that. I didn't want that life. So I just didn't see that going anywhere, even though I made a lot of money in construction, made tons of it, but it was just not a lifestyle thing that I wanted. So no, the mental health wasn't good. It's awful. Well, you hear that phrase a lot, you know, people trading their health for wealth. And I've heard, uh, I think it was Tim Ferriss talking about that. Like a lot of the most successful people he knows are trying to buy back the health they lost by, you know, working all hours in that kind of entrepreneurial, you know, candle at both ends thing that was so cool and so sexy. And now they're you know, mentally and physically broken. They're trying to reclaim some of the years. So, yeah. and I see that in the fire service, you know, I mean, there's, there's people that take this job very seriously and understand the health element, but we have not created an environment for health in the fire service. And you look at a lot of our responders, as you've seen, some of them are in great shape. Some of them are you know, a liability. And I don't mean that in a mean way. They're a product of their environment, whether it's the low hiring standards, whether it's the lack of any sort of wellness understanding by the people they work for. And, you know, it, if you're going to serve or work for X amount of decades in a profession, it shouldn't kill you. I mean, it's no. as simple as that. No, I agree. You know, we would have, and I remember there'd be a couple job sites where somebody would try to take health and wellness seriously and they would bring out, you know, they'd want to, They'd want the guys to warm up before we would start construction. And I can just remember seeing these overweight 40 to 50 year old guys, sometimes in their sixties, 
and they're wearing blue jean coveralls and Carhartts, the whole thing, boots, the whole, the whole get up. Right. And now you're going to want them to start stretching and, and doing, uh, calisthenics before we start, before we start pulling out welding cables and torch cables and pushing around rigs and, and using, uh, grinders that weigh over 30 something fucking pounds and you're carrying all your tools all over the place. They're wanting to do these, uh, these setups for health and wellness. And it was just, it was never perceived correctly. It was, I think the intent sounds great at a boardroom meeting where they're like, Hey, we want to make sure that, you know, our insurance is covered. So we want to make sure our guys are healthy. Let's, let's do some warm ups before we do their work. But, you know, you're asking these guys to do extremely, extremely physical jobs already. Um, and they've been doing it their entire life. They've probably been doing it since they were teenagers. And here they are 40, 50 years old and you're trying to introduce some type of plan to them and they're just not going to fucking hear it. You know, and it really becomes this grumbling session and everybody's just pissed off after the fact. So you're right. We, I used to see that a lot. Um, there isn't, I don't know if there's an answer for it, except that, um, I heard a term when I gave a speech over at the UPS here in Ocala, the, uh, the guys consider themselves industrial athletes, which I thought was really cool. If you start making the culture shift versus like you're a construction worker or you're just a fucking box thrower, right? You're an industrial athlete. You need to warm up. It's part of what you're doing. What you're doing is a very physical job and I don't want you to get hurt. I actually care about you. Um, it's a, it's more, you, you got to go a little bit deeper than just all of a sudden. Well, here's this checklist I need your guys to do before they do their work today. Well, why? Fuck you, man. I don't want to fucking do that. I got a job to do, right? I got to get out here and I need to do all this stuff. Why do I need to do this? Well, if you don't change that culture, they're never going to, they don't know why, right? They're going to argue and buck. So what are they doing so well at UPS? Because I don't know if it's just their best people that get to actually deliver, but I basically have seen nothing but seemingly very fit people in that brown uniform delivering packages around. So it seems like there's a wellness culture there. Am I, am I correct? I think they care about it. I'm not a, a, an employee of UPS. I just, I built a lot of them. I was around a lot of them. UPS, Feral Express, um, Postal Services. Um, I worked on some Amazon.com facilities. I built airports all over the place. Anywhere that there was machinery um, that I was in there, in those types of facilities and around those kind of people. But I will say that like your FedExes and your UPSs, they do seem to take a little bit more um, more care in the culture and wellness of their guys. Um, I was introduced to come over. I was asked to go and talk to them because they do care about health and wellness. They do want their guys to stay healthy and they they are already respecting them as industrial athletes and they want them to train that way so they're always moving they're always hustling they're always if you they don't like us very much because most of the shipments that come to iron legion are big heavy dumbbells plates um (laughs) right (laughs) barbells like everything that comes here kettlebells everything's fucking heavy but they handle it you know and they and you think and if you think about it that's what they're handling all day long so they have to you know if you don't if you don't, as a company, as a culture, take a step back and go, you know, I need these guys to recognize that I need them to stay healthy and fit or they're not going to be able to do their job. They, they're going to start losing people. People are going to get hurt. So I think, uh, from what I've seen over time, I think UPS took some steps back in the day to make sure that that's part of their culture. And I think they do. Um, but again, I'm not there every single day anymore. So I don't see it as much, but. Just the, I've asked, I've been asked to come and talk to their guys up in Gainesville too. I put my, I think my brother went and did a couple talks there because he's done similar work. Um, so I, I know that they have an attention towards it. Um, and you're right. Every time you see them, they're typically pretty fit guys. 
Um, you know, in, in the reflection of that would be, you know, you got a new up and comer like Amazon and they've got their Amazon trucks out running around right now. And nine times out of 10, you talk to one of those Amazon truck drivers, they don't even know where the fuck they are yet. Yeah. Right. They're still young and they're still trying to figure out what they're doing as a company. Their, their people are just kind of in and out. They're just, there's a different type of people, uh, that you get your package delivered by if you pay attention. If you own a business and you see them, FedEx coming here, um, uh, UPS and, and Amazon, you know, you could tell Amazon's pretty new. Yeah. There's a lot of nest and ring doorbell videos showing yeah, <laughs> yeah. disregard for professionalism by some of our Amazon delivery people. Right. Well, I mean, they're still starting out. So I'm not saying they're not going to get there, but they're still new. And, you know, UPS has had the time, the background to understand that, hey, we need to, it's a culture shift. It's not a checklist, right? It's a culture shift. We have to decide that we need health and wellness to be first in order for these guys to be industrial athletes, right? Not just a box drawer. So you're made aware, obviously, of the wellness element. When did you, when did you first find CrossFit? And was that the first real thing or, or had you already kind of explored other strength and conditioning programs prior to that? I, you know, as I was moving through life, um, construction gave me a big physical outlet. So like I was talking about earlier, I needed to keep my hands busy. I needed to always be doing something because I struggle with depression like most people do. Um, I have my ups and downs and I like to work to get through those moments because I know there's always going to be a bright side at some point. If I can just get through this shit, it's going to get better. Um, so as I've always been fucking good at whatever I did. Um, that may sound egotistical. I don't really care, but if, if I wanted to be, if I wanted to learn something, I would learn every aspect of it as I could. And I would try to continue to rise to, uh, to get better and better and better in my career. So I, I was always moving up the ladder. So, um, I was running my first, I was a general foreman at 22 years old at FedEx in, in Texas. And I was running probably 150 to 180 man crews as a kid and all these guys were 40 plus and they all worked for me and, but they had a respect for me because I could hustle and work right alongside with them. Um, but I think that was a, right around my early twenties is when I started shifting into more of a management role. So I started getting away from the physical aspect of it and I noticed it right away. Like my mentality started, you know, my mental, the way I felt was darker and darker all the time and I needed an outlet. I had to have something. So I just joined a gym. So I would start, I made sure that the gym was at least a part of my life while I did this corporate life, while I was starting to move from the trades and into the more office style type work. Um, I had to have some type of physical outlet. So I added in gym work. Well, then gym work, obviously traveling all over the place. Um, it got boring and only recently have I understood what, what I didn't like about it. But I did the normal back buys and try shit that everybody else did, um, you know, going up and I'd grab a magazine and I'd do whatever little gimmicky fucking program muscle builder magazine had at the time. And I'd run that for a while and get bored with that, all that type of stuff. But I'd go to Gold's Gym, LA Fitness, Planet Fit, wherever it was, the gyms were open. I would do those types of things. CrossFit wasn't really on the scene growing up through all that type of stuff, but I hated it. I liked the work, but I hated the environment. Every single gym I went to. I fucking hated it. I couldn't stand it. And I didn't understand until only recently that it was literally the comfort level that I hated the most. And I think uh, you and I both read the same book, The Comfort Crisis. Yeah. Michael Easter. 
Michael Easter, and he hit it right on the fucking head. And when I read that, when I read the sentence, I went back and I read it about 10 fucking times. And I was like, that's really cool. That's exactly what it is. It's like these fucking gyms these days are big comfort palaces. You ride an escalator up to the door. The doors automatically open. The air conditioner hits you in the face. All the monitors are up there and they got the fucking screens playing. Somebody's on a book or, a, or an iPad on the treadmill and they're just cruising along and everybody's fucking comfortable. They're all posing in front of the mirror. It's fake, fake bullshit. And I couldn't stand it. Now, there are a small majority of people that can go in places like that. And I was one of them and get real work done. But the majority of the people that you saw in there, they're just there to say they're at the gym. Right. They're there to check off the box for the day that they went and they got fit. Right. But they had to do it in an air conditioned palace with fucking glass and, and, and mirrors and all these things that I couldn't fucking stand and machines and all the shit. And uh, so I was always I, I couldn't stand that environment. Um, I liked it when I would go to a place like Boston and you'd go to a Gold's. There was a Gold's gym there and it was an old Gold's gym. It was like an old boxing gym that Gold's had bought or leased or something and i got there and uh i walked in i was like man this is a cool fucking gym dirty fuck it was dirty it was just like really gritty everywhere not not dirty in the sense that you didn't want to touch nothing but like gritty and older and uh this old fucking cat comes out from behind the counter and he's like i want you to know i know this is a gold's gym and you know you got a membership or whatever town you're from but at the end of the day it was my gym first he said, this has been an old boxing gym here in Boston forever. And he goes, uh, he says, you're going to respect that. And I said, I do respect that. I think that's really cool. And I went in and it was all free weights and heavy shit and just like really cool stuff. And I was like, this guy's onto something. Now he's a gold gym, but it's like, it's, it's different. Right. And it was just that it hit me a little bit. The vibe hit me. So then I started seeking out places like that were a little dirtier, a little grungier, that type of shit. And then, uh, and I'd find them in places out there, you know, you'd find really cool darker style gyms and um and then crossfit came out and at the time uh 300 came out the movie 300 and everybody was doing this 300 workout right so i started i did the 300 workout and i was doing it at a gold's gym and uh and <laughs> you laugh but i ended up getting kicked out of that gold's gym because I, I smashed a bunch of fucking mirrors with a with a uh, 45 pound plate it was great um, best day of my life. The, <laughs> what was um, How did that happen? I was, I think I was doing a squat clean or something and the, um, you weren't supposed to. So I was doing a squat clean with a 45 pound steel plate on the, on the bar and it slid off, bounced and hit the fucking mirror to the right of me and it shattered <laughs> and the whole fucking mirror went down and I just picked up all my weights and I put them up. And as I was going out, she's like, uh, you're going to have to pay for that. I said, I'm not fucking paying for that. And uh, they canceled my membership immediately. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. I was perfectly fine with that. Um, but so anyway, I was CrossFit kept popping up. It was around. Um, it had workouts and, it, you know, it was all web based. It was CrossFit.com. And um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I don't hate Christianity. I'm just not a big fan of it. Um, I believe that faith is a good thing when used properly. But um, I, I always felt like CrossFit, the first word cross, that I thought it was a Christian-based fitness program. Have you seen the parody of CrossFit? Some of it. I yeah. remember those, yeah. I mean, it's just very offensive to people, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. you, you got to take a step back and go, that is... It's pretty it, funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, I was one of those guys where I'm looking at it, I'm like, this has got to be faith-based. It has to be faith-based. And if it's faith-based, I don't want nothing to do with it. Because growing up, you know, <laughs> I loved 
death metal. I loved rock and roll. I loved all that type of shit. But, you know, with my stepmom, the way she was, the only kind of music I was allowed to listen to was Christian rock. And it drove me fucking crazy because it was like this watered down shit version of the real thing. So like Striper was like the band, right? Striper was the only, the heaviest thing that my mom, my stepmom would allow us to listen to was Striper. And I used to want to just fucking bash my head on the wall. I'm like, I fucking hate this music. So anything faith-based just seemed to me that it was just like this watered down version of the original all the time. So that's why I was like really hesitant with something like CrossFit. I'm like, I want heavy, hard hitting, high intensity work. Um, and it looked like they had that. It did, but I was like that name, man, that name. So finally I just decided one day I was about six months of like haunting the site, looking at it, waiting for them to fucking spring it on me, right? <laughs> Reading all the blogs and just looking and doing lurking like a troll. I decided I'm like, I haven't seen any mention about faith-based type shit. So I'm going to go for it. So I did. And man, there was no turning back after that. First workout. What was it? I don't fucking remember. It was a, a dot com workout, one of the ones from the old CrossFit.coms. And I just jumped on one of those and started doing them at regular gyms all across the country. And I could follow that format everywhere. And it was cool. I could pull up CrossFit.com and I can go anywhere I wanted to and then do that workout. And uh I remember comparing myself to um they had like a like a leaderboard, but people would talk. You'd you know, say like Sven in, in Sweden was roughly your height, roughly your weight. Yeah, you'd look for guys age. like that. Yeah, yeah, and you start doing it. And I thought that was cool as shit, man. So I could start really comparing myself to these other athletes. And I found out that like I was hanging really well with these guys. And uh so I started really diving in. And, you know, the message then um, you know, it was right around, you know, nine 11, it happened and all that type of stuff. So, I mean, you had, a um, there was a good base culture with CrossFit back then. It was a lot of, um, you know, anti shitty food. They had a good nutrition message. They had a good military message. They had a good social message back then. And it was just, uh, something that I could easily gravitate towards and not, you know, uh, you know, and once I found out it wasn't faith-based, I was just, I could dive right in and, uh, it was cool. And even to this day, you know, I respect a lot of the, the early days of CrossFit. You know, they, I feel like they changed the face of fitness. They really did. They changed, uh, nutrition. They changed the face of fitness. They changed the mentality, the attitude about all of that shit. So, um, kudos to them. But yeah, that's kind of how I found CrossFit. A little lengthy. Sorry, but no, no, lengthy is good. Yeah. No, I, I really do feel they did as well. And I'm supposed to be having Greg coming on. Um, it keeps getting pushed back. I think they're just excellent. I think he's releasing a book. So I'm sure it's waiting for the timing to be right. But, I saw that. I was doing the main site workouts and everything and the same thing. I'm like, oh, you know, compared to these people, I see me doing well. Now, fast forward 2022, I'm not doing well compared to yeah, some of these elite the It's not the same no, as they were the, then either. So. At the beginning, it was kind of cool because you're like, okay, if, you're, if you are in good shape and if you start doing this for a while, you start to see it's paying off, but it's remotely. Sure. You know, you're literally competing against the world. Yeah. So what made you shift from being a CrossFit, you know, athlete, as far as a gym athlete to deciding to start your very first box on your own property. Um, with that, I just traveling around a lot, you know, and working with people everywhere. There's it's just, I knew there was something more. There was, I've always wanted to own my own business. I've, you know, I always thought I was going to be construction based and, um, you know, and as you age, you start to realize that money is not the, the driver for everything. Um, it becomes more of an inside need, like uh, to fix, avoid the, um, 
And I feel like that's what kind of led me into starting my own gym. Not so much that I started a CrossFit gym. It was just getting into an arena where I could actually help people become stronger, better versions of themselves. Um, because nobody was really there to kind of help me show the way, show me the way growing up, um, how to get there. So like <laughs> my wife, she calls herself the dream killer. And I, I actually agree with her. She's, she's like, I would come up with different business ideas all the time. And, uh, she, she would shoot them down one after the other. I think, you know, I had like, uh, I was a big wakeboarder, been a big snowboarder, all that type of stuff growing up, always board sports based. So, you know, I thought, you know, I'll start a, a wakeboard company and I'll do, uh, uh, I'll get a wake boat and we'll do tours. We'll do all this other kind of shit. She's like, no, nah, that's dumb. Um, you know, <laughs> we're going to do a, uh, you know, I'll start a scuba diving company because I'm a big scuba diver still and a, a spear fisherman. I love it. Still do to this day. She's like, I said, you know, I'll get a, a boat and be a charter captain, dive master, something like that. And she's like, nah, that's dumb. So, so she's just been constantly like shooting that shit down my whole life. And, uh, we've been together for quite some time. So we're coming up on 20 years now. So big chunk of my life, Karen and I've been together. And, uh, but then I brought the fitness piece which she knew I was very passionate about. I've got to have a physical outlet. Um, you know, today alone, she's like, what's wrong with you? Um, I haven't worked out in two days. I'm jonesing. I'm literally like, I need to work out. Something's a little bit off on you. What is it? I'm like, well, I just competed on Saturday. I wanted to take this week off. I told myself I was going to take this week off because it was a heavy week or a heavy event. But here it is three days later and I'm ready to get back at it. Um, so anyway, she knew fitness was a big aspect of it. She knows that when I train with people or around people, it's just a, um, uh, people identify with it really quick. And so we started our own gym. We started with about three people in my backyard, friends of mine. And, uh, before long, and we were on a farm. My wife was a uh, general manager of a uh, thoroughbred racehorse farm here in Ocala, Florida. So we had a lot of property. We got an okay from the owners to start our gym. And just use the backyard because I mean, we're on 400 fucking acres. We weren't really going to bother anybody. So we were just going to stay on our little spot in the farm. So we started with uh, three people there and we had, uh, we had a, a basketball that we filled with sand that we wrapped up with duct tape. And we had a, um, an old like satellite, um, the satellite dish, the big ones, the big ones that are like the size of your fucking car. So we had uh, that there. That was what we had to start our gym with. So, so it was a lot of calisthenics space, a lot of body weight stuff and that one wall ball, that one sand wall ball thing. And we had a target on our satellite dish that we used as our target. A lot of rust in the eyes, that type of shit, but people loved it. They were just, cause it was hard and gritty and dirty, right? And muddy, the same stuff that I liked the grab that then they gravitated towards it. And before long, Three athletes became six athletes in about two weeks. And then six athletes became 36 athletes. And I was buying products from different equipment companies and having them shipped to the house. And I'm trying to install these nice rigs and shit outside and uh, all these nice barbells and house them all outside. And before long, we had, you know, 40 or 50 members after a few months, all trying to park their cars in my driveway, use my toilet in my bathroom. Like it was, it was kind of getting a little frustrating, but we grew fast um, because I cared about what I was fucking doing, gave a shit about what I was doing. And uh, the owners of the farm came down and kicked us out, which I was like, you're right. If I'm going to take this serious, 
it's time to take it serious. So we went and we found our own first place and we found a little bay, a little storage container, uh, a little storage facility and started working out of that. And that's kind of right around the time when I met you is about a year later after that. So you had one bay, I think right when I met you, had you pushed through yeah, to the second bay? Yeah, we just gotten through to the second bay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so talk to me about that. As, as we've, I've been in CrossFit since 06, 07. So kind of early you know compared to a lot of people so i've got to see not only the the undulation of the actual principles and movement that is crossfit that i want to explore in a bit but also i've watched a lot of gyms start and a lot of gyms fail so walk me through from the business side the evolution from uh sandfield basketball to where we're sitting today the um i was still working my uh, regular career when I started that gym or the gym we have today. And so I was working, living that parallel life and I was training at a facility in Orlando called Firebase and it was owned by a, uh, an operator, Danny. And the guy is just, he was top notch, just a, a great guy to know. And, um, he, the way he ran his gym just impressed the shit out of me. As soon as you, as soon as I walked into it, it's, it had the grungy feel, the heavy feel, but everything was just, everything had a place. You know, the, everything was shiny. Everything was clean, but everything had a place. It was, um, you know, flags were on the wall and everything was up with respect. There was quotes and different things in different areas that like really impressed upon you, not just motivation, but like the reason why you would want to train that type of stuff. And those types of things really impacted me being at Firebase that, um, I wanted to emulate that if I ever started another gym. And I think with him and his operator background, you could see it when you were walking around in the, in the facility, the way that every, the, the corners were tight, like everything was perfect everywhere that you went. And it was a really, really cool experience. Um, so Danny obviously impressed a lot of that, uh, quality on me. So when I started my gym, it was one of the things that when we finally got into the bay, I've ha- always kind of made sure to keep a distinct appearance. Even if you walk into Iron Legion today, it doesn't look like any CrossFit gym you'd ever walk into. It doesn't look like any gym you would walk into. It has its own feel. It has its own vibe when you walk in. It has, it hits you when you walk in. Like this is different. Something in here is different and you feel it. And that's what I used to feel at Firebase too. Um, so I feel like it's not that I copied that. It's just that. It was something that I respected and I wanted it to be a part of what we have moving forward. Um, within the first year, we were the biggest gym in Ocala uh, as far as CrossFit goes. Now, I'm sure there's some other CrossFit whatever's out there that think that they were, but by numbers and facts, we were the biggest and we'd grown very, very fast. And I can remember a couple of people asking me, um, you know, how did you guys grow so quickly? That was fast. Like, and they were mainly people from out of town, Orlando and different things like that saw that. Like, how'd you grow so quick? And, uh, I used to make a joke, but I was, there was a lot of seriousness in the joke in that, um, we, we mopped the floors, we cleaned the floors and we didn't fuck the members. Right. And they would laugh. And I'm like, it's the downfall of every single gym that I see. They, you know, people get involved with the members. They don't clean their facility. They don't take any care in it. Um, and those are such basic, normal things that should be part of your core values. Like take care of your shit and don't fuck with people. Like let them, they want to come in and train. They want to work out, but like leave them alone. If you're married, you're married, right? Just stay married. Like I just didn't really like that. That was, it was a joke, but it was, you know, kind of tongue in cheek. So it was one of the things that you're talking about. You know, they would, they would start and they would fail. Right. And I saw it everywhere. 
But if you dig into about 80% of them as to why they failed, somebody's wife fucked somebody's husband or somebody's husband sucks. You know what I mean? And it was always members. It was always like the owners and the members. And it was just, it was gross. Like, don't, why? Why did you start a business with your family? And then, you know what I mean? It's just, I don't get it. But then you also have the other guys that, you know, they think starting a business is go and buy all the best shit. I don't know how many times I've seen that here in Ocala. You know, they go buy twenty to $50,000 of equipment and throw it in a little fucking warehouse and expect people to come to their gym. When you have no background, no passion, no heart, you just have all the gear. Well, people don't care about the gear. I started with a fucking basketball with duct tape around it, right? You got to have the heart. You have to actually care about where you're going, about what you're doing. It's not about going out and buying the best equipment out there. People aren't going to come for that. They might come for a minute to see it, but they'll also be there to buy it when you go out of business. So I don't know if I answered your question, but kind of went on a tangent, but the, uh, but yeah. No, you did. Well, another thing that I saw was, and this is what I used to find the gym. It's probably exactly what I did for Iron Legion. So people say, oh, how do I find a good, a good gym in general? But yeah, let's take CrossFit, for example. If you go on the coach's bio or the owner's bio and it says they have a level one, that's a huge red flag. Your whole life and soul is coaching, but you have the most basal certification you can have to open a gym. That's a massive red flag. And that's what I saw. People would do their two-week certification yep. and they would open a gym. Yep. And they, you know, and how can you, I talk about this fire service, you can't send a human away for two days and they come back an expert in anything, Never. period. Never. So talk to me about Adam, I think so I'm assuming was your first coach outside of yourself. And then what have you looked for in, in all the people that you brought in as coaches up to that point? Yeah. So I'm a, I am a team builder and I love working with teams. And that has a lot to do with my construction background. You know, you get dropped into an area. Uh, you got to figure out who your high performers are. Um, and you need to be able to work those high performers pretty quickly. Um, and you can get a lot more done um, in a short amount of time. That's just the culture of construction when you get into management. So I have never, I, I don't have uh, a CrossFit level 17 fucking training education. I don't have that. Um, what I do have is just years and years and years of experience. I have went back and got level ones and level twos. I have spent time at um, um, training camps and different things like that. Uh, I, I've, I've spent time with some of the best in the industry and I've learned a ton from them. Um, but I still, even to this day, don't consider myself the best coach, right? There's, there's, uh, an aspect to a team that it, 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 that's your strength. It's, it's building and finding not everybody's a robot. So you want to find certain people who have certain strengths and then put them all together. And then you got, you can be very, very effective as a, as a business or as a person with the amount of people that you surround yourself with. So I found myself at a point where we were at 150 pushing up on 200 members and we had a full slate of classes and we just weren't really growing. And as a matter of fact, we were starting to slip and, um, it was becoming really frustrating. What was, what was originally my passion, um, was starting to become a job. And when something starts to become a job, it's not fun anymore. So I knew and I recognized immediately that like I needed help, but it had to be the right kind of help. So I started looking for, and we had plenty of people that offered help. You know, we had a, a couple of kids that were, that went and got their level ones that I'd round out our staff with. And we had some firefighters that would come in and help out. But 
I needed um, a type A performer, somebody that was uh, similar to me in respect that knows how to run a crew, at least has been around a management style position, that type of stuff. And, you know, Adam came into the picture. He was a strength and conditioning coach for Stuart Haas NASCAR Racing. His wife had just taken a job down here in uh, Florida and luck would have it. The gods are always watching, right? Fate is a thing. The uh, Adam contacted us right when I was already searching for people and he came in, he interviewed and the dude was jacked when he walked in and tattoos, the whole thing. He had the whole, the whole persona and this awesome, like, North Carolina accent where he's been on this NASCAR racing pit crew that like everybody gravitated towards. So like the, the dude was like super knowledgeable, very personable, and still to this day, one of the most excellent fucking people that you'll ever meet. And he runs a uh, gym down in, in Jupiter, CrossFit Sea Dog, um, where he has his own gym now. So like, but he worked with us for a long period of time. The only reason he moved down to Jupiter was his wife got an excellent offer and they moved down south. I mean, there's no stopping that. It was a really good offer. And, you know, Kelly, Congratulations. It was awesome for her. So like, but, but yeah, I, I realized that in order to grow this thing, I needed a partner, somebody that was equally as passionate about what I'm doing, what we're doing as I am. So in Adam fit the role. And since then, we've met a couple of other people along the path that have fit that role as well. So I'm always looking for other people to join the team. And it's just, I'm looking for, I'm always looking for unique people. There's plenty of people out there, but finding that, that unique personality is the thing that I'm always looking for. Well, something you hear from, you know, a lot of people that have succeeded in, I think the gym space full stop is you have to understand that you're going to take on the role as the business owner or you're going to be the coach. It doesn't mean that you can't coach as a business owner, but to be the lead coach, the, you know, the, the person who's programming and the face that most people see, that's such a draining job and a full-time job to then juggle marketing and membership and new ideas and competitions. I think that's what I see where some people go wrong is they try and do everything and having the humility to say, okay, I mean, like for me, I'm, I've always said I'm a white level, white belt level coach. Like I can coach and I do my class and I am proud of that, but I don't consider myself a quote unquote coach. Right. Um, so, you know, delegating and having the humility to say, I think you would actually be better at this than me. I think that's a big, big part of it. Yes, I agree. hundred percent. And having those coaches that can dedicate that time to the, those hours that are on the floor is very important. You're exactly right. You know, and I found myself in that spot too, where I'm straddling the events and running the marketing and, and making phone calls, doing all those types of things. And then trying to get on the floor and engage with my members. That's what I meant when I feel it was starting to slip and I needed that kind of help. And I saw it in construction. I'm sure you guys see it in the fire service too. Um, just because somebody's a really fucking hard worker doesn't mean they're going to be a great manager ever. So like you can have one of the best CrossFit athletes on your floor, you know, he's in here, he's a grinder. He's got a two minute Fran time and a 500 pound back squat. That has no uh, respect to, to his ability to manage people. Like I can't just grab that guy and turn him into a coach. Like I, I probably could over time, but you know, that those aren't immediate qualities for management, you know, in construction, your hardest workers, you know, the guy that out that's out there busting ass and putting up the most material during the day, turn him into a foreman, he turns into a piece of shit overnight because he just doesn't, he can't work with his hands anymore, right? It's, it's pretty, it's not very often that you can find somebody that can come from a working their, up with their hands and then find other ways to work with their hands so they can pursue other things, you know what I mean? And continue that, that travel as well and be able to manage people. So it's, that's what I mean by finding unique people. So they're not, they're not all the same. 
See, it's funny you say that because when in construction you think about the journeyman, you know, who would be the you know, the veteran, the salty dog in construction, but in the fire service, and I understand why the 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 low pay, the hours, and everything. A lot of times people fly up the promotional ladder, and before they know it, they're sitting behind a desk and they're not using their hands. And I, my personal thing initially, I was thinking ten, ten, five, ten as a firefighter, ten as a captain in California, and then five as a chief. As I progress through my my career, I'm like, no, I'm just going to stay as a firefighter because I love working with my hands and I don't want, I never wanted to be that person who was managing. doesn't mean that I couldn't be a leader in some other, right? you know, and this is what I end up doing with the with the, the podcast, but I wanted to be a leader, what they call a senior man, you know, like a, a, a firefighter leader, someone who got really good at that craft. Right. So contrasting it, it's interesting that you say that because... There's so much value sometimes in just staying in that level and just getting really, really, really good. And some people, as you said, are are actually much better as those people managers. But those are two kind of different personality types. For sure. Completely agree. Yeah, I've seen that very often. Very. I mean, I think that a lot of the uh, the guys that you're talking about, the gyms that start up and fail, you know, they had a, a good idea and they were probably really good at something. And they thought, well, I'm naturally going to be good at this, too. <laughs> there's a little bit more to it than that. So so with all the years that you've been in CrossFit as well, talk to me about your observation. I know when you're talking about the, you know, the, the sliding, I would, you know, from my outside looking in, I would say that probably one of the most challenging times here was when we kind of got dragged into the whole boot camp thing and it detracted a little bit from as you said, that that gym feel. What have you seen as far as the undulation of CrossFit itself, but also about the bells and whistles and the marketing side that have pulled you, you know, one way or another? I think with um, you're referencing a time where we were doing really well. Um, the gym was 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 growing very fast, and uh, I got the uh, the Pied Piper. The Pied Pipers of, of business are consultants, right? They, uh, the consultants started getting their hooks in. They saw that we're successful, so they wanted a piece. So they, they would come in with these great concepts and these cool ideas. And, um, and they were, they, on the surface, they worked out really well and it appealed to a part of me that wasn't, that wasn't who I was. And I didn't realize it until I was too far into it. And the part that it appealed to was make money, right? So we started making money and we started pushing the, our, our, uh, revenue numbers just to, to fucking numbers that I never thought would be possible, you know, close to a million dollars in a couple of years of business. And I'm like, wow, this is fucking excellent. Right. Um, but then you start to realize we're slowly starting to disconnect from our members. Um, I've got so many fucking faces coming in here and I don't even know who they are. Um, and they're revolving right out the back door. And once I started to become aware of that, I'm like, well, we need to fix that. We need to, to, to put in things in place to, to get back our, our, our core culture. We need to be talking to these guys. We need to, to make sure that they're, we're, we're staying with our core value. But at that point, we were grown so big, so fast. And we we're making so much money that it started costing more to make the money that we had. It was this nasty little trap. And, a lot of gym owners out there um, probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Before we knew it, um, our gross revenue numbers 
were less than our overhead and marketing dollars that it took to get the numbers to where we were. Um, and we were like, holy fucking shit. And that seemed to happen really fast. Right. And I was struggling with it. I, I, sure. It was great to have these, these big numbers. Um, and I could see the potential if I wanted it. And at the time we had, uh, we actually had a partnership across the state of Florida where I was partners with like 13 different gyms and we were in their gyms running programs for them all over the place. Um, and we were growing and growing and growing, but it just became this fucking nightmare of just like juggling money and people and minds and all this stuff. And I'm like, stop. This is not what the fuck I got in this business for. I got in this business to help people. I got in this business to have conversations with everybody that walks in my door. I want to know how your day went, how your job went, and what can I do here at the facility to help you with that? Because I want you to be a stronger, better, more capable person. But at that, at that moment, that boot camp phase that we were going through, there were so many fucking people coming through the door, man. And it was, you, we started to realize that the quality of people that were coming through the door too were, they were trash. They were just, they didn't want a culture. They just wanted the next fun, flashy thing. And they were going to touch on it and then blow out. And that's kind of where we are as a society right now. Everybody wants the next new thing. They want to try the next, they'll do Orange Theory for 30 days. And then they're going to run over to this new uh, boot camp program for the, for a week. And they're going to try a trial over here for a little while. And they're going to do these things. And then they just get fatter and they get more and more out of shape and they're always really actually taking care of themselves. And it's frustrating and it's hard. And it's like, I don't want to work with those kind of people. I can't, you can't make them stop long enough to have enough discipline to at least just, just pick one fitness program, let alone driving all over and hitting all the little free shit and 30 day, six week fucking programs all over the place. I don't want like those type of people didn't appeal to me. So we started shutting it out. We started paring it back down. Um, and now, you know, we've changed and think, you know, there's one of the positives of COVID for us was it gave us an opportunity to rest back on our heels, gut, gut all this consultant bullshit out of iron legion and go back to our core values and then be who we wanted to be. Um, and then over the course of those two years of COVID's just shit show, we rebranded, we overhauled, we redid everything. And now it's, our, you know, if I was going to give you a, a business concept of what Iron Legion is today, we had a consultant call the other day like, hey, can I do this and this and this for you? What seems to be working at Iron Legion? I've said the only thing working at Iron Legion is we work really hard and people seem to gravitate towards us. And I don't need your fucking yeah, bullshit. Not listening to you really works well. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I don't need that shit anymore. So, Brilliant. So with with that, let's, let's stay on that for a moment. COVID hits. I've been very vocal about this, you know, when, when health and, and resilience of the human being is at most importance, they close all the gyms. You can have alcohol and fast food delivered to your house. What a joke. Talk to me about that two year period and what you were able to do as far as getting the doors open as quickly as possible. We had, that was a, a point in my life where I still, I still grind around with it in that. You know, America's a land of opportunity. You never thought, you know, as an entrepreneur, I, I, I took a giant risk to start my own business. And I waited and waited. And again, my wife and I, we deliberated on it for years as starting our own business. But this is supposed to be America. If you start a small business, um, you know, that's what America is all about. And we got our small business going and we were successful and everything. And all of a sudden, the United States of America decided you're not allowed to be in business anymore. And that's the way it felt. And you're like, what the fuck is going on here? This is a, this is a health and wellness type facility. I'm here to help and you're shutting us down. And it, it's still to this day. I know it can happen again because they just did it. 
They just did it and they're going to try it again. And this is the kind of shit that they're playing with. That's like playing with fire. Um, so our state got shut down. Yes, we are in Florida. It wasn't as long as everybody else's. That's awesome. But they still did shut us down because no one knew what was going on. So, uh, you know, here at Iron Legion, we, to not upset the apple cart of our members, we didn't want to instill fear with anybody. We decided to, okay, we'll go along with this bullshit. So we did about 10 days. Um, we went and, uh, we closed the facility and we were doing these zoom thing. I fucking hate zoom to this day because of it. We were doing zoom workouts with all of our members. We we're doing whatever we could to make it work and, and happen. And, uh, about the eighth or 10th day, I came to the gym to pick something up and there's 30 fucking people in my back parking lot working out on our rig outside. And they're just, and they're grinding away. And I pulled in, I was like, Hey, you guys want to go inside and work out? And they're like, fuck yeah. So I cracked open the door and we went, started using the back door ever since. Um, even when they quote unquote opened the, the state back up, we'd already been back. So we were already operating here. Um, we did our best to just ignore what was going on everywhere. I think one of the biggest forays that we did was we started ruck programs in the morning just so everybody can get a social grab again. And we started rebuilding our community from the inside up that way. And we, what we also found was, we washed out a lot of the weakness and bullshit that we had here at Iron Legion, which was fucking great. So a lot of those guys that fucking split during COVID, they haven't come back. Bye. Right. But we had some really diehard guys, hardcore people that were, that were, that agreed with the Iron Legion message that are still here to this day. And they paid their value the entire time they were here and they still put in the work. Those are the guys that I love. I mean, they're here all the time and they're committed to this and we're committed to them. And it's really fucking cool. So that. Yes, it had a dark cloud, but on the other side of it, I saw the positives and really, really focused on giving those guys that wanted to stick it out all my fucking attention. Well, you look at the model as well of a CrossFit gym, the whole six feet apart. Well, you want to do that, otherwise you get a barbell or a you know kettlebell to that the face. That was laughable. Anyway. That was fucking laughable. The outside space, I mean, you know, so many of my classes, you know, it's all outside. Yeah. So you could move all kinds of stuff outside. Um, but then even just the singular thing of having a barbell, a kettlebell, a warble, whatever, and it's yours through the whole workout, you wipe it down, you put it back. Right. You know what I mean? So versus, you know, a gym where maybe you're cycling through machines and now you've got to wipe everything, every, you know, even though that was kind of silly in itself. But I think this style of gym, again, is like with all these parameters you've given us. Yeah. So business as usual then, because we are right. all of those things. So that was what was crazy is it wasn't like you know, doing some crazy maverick thing by opening up. It was like, right, so six feet apart. So, you know, open air space, all this stuff. Yeah, we've got all those. So I guess we'll just go back then. Yeah, that was the laughable part for me was just, you know, the government says you have to do these particular things. I'm like, I didn't need the fucking government to tell me I need to do those things. Long before the government stepped in and long before COVID stepped in, in order to put the amount of people in the facility that I have to put in here, I have to have space requirements. I'd already done these things. We have stickers on the floor that kind of identify where you are. It allows you to be able to swing a kettlebell or drop a barbell and not impact the person in front of you. Like these are things that we've already done. Cleaning the facility. Again, we touched on that earlier. That was, those were things that we've always done. We've always wiped down and cleaned our shit. We've always kept six feet apart or roughly whatever my square footage that I decided upon. Not CrossFit. CrossFit doesn't give me directions. The government doesn't give me directions. It's my facility, my people, my stuff, 
right? And I had it set up that way early on already because I wanted to run a good small business. I wanted to run a good, safe, effective small business where people could feel comfortable while they were here and they didn't have to get whacked in the head with a fucking kettlebell because they were too close. I've been to a million CrossFit gyms where it's a clusterfuck. It's a black mat on the ground. You go get your equipment and people click up next to the friends that they like and they smack the fuck out of each other with shit all the time. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Like a little bit of planning goes a long way to running an effective gym, especially when you're running heads through all day long. Now, I don't have one class in the morning and one class at night, like 80% of the CrossFits across the country. I have classes all fucking day long and we're running people through here all the time. So we have to be really good at processing people and making sure that there is space. But I didn't need the fucking government or CrossFit to tell me that. You know what I mean? And it was fucking irritating to have them step in after the fact and lump me in with everybody else. Fuck you. I didn't need that. We were already washing our hands every day. I don't need this big brother shit getting into my fucking business. I'm getting a little bit heated. I'm remembering <laughs> Good, it. Carry yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Well, people are going to probably hear some things in the background now because as you just mentioned, there's a class about to start kind of off in the corner there. Yeah. Um, with, again, going back to the, the CrossFit Genesis, I've seen, I would say, some of the purest days were the main site days, early, yeah, early CrossFit. Then going forward to, you know, where they had the uh, the competitions on the ranch. It wasn't televised. It weren't sponsors. And that was still very pure. But then as you got into the froning days, um, just for kind of a timestamp, I saw a shift from people walking through the door saying, I want to be better at being a firefighter, being a mom, being a whatever, to I want to be Sam Briggs. I want to be whoever. And, you know, as you heard me say many times, learning fucking butterfly pull-ups when they can't even do a strict pull-up and you know handstand walks looking like a broken salmon and just like i was just face palming so hard but then out the other side i think we start and that's when we saw a lot of injuries in my opinion out the other side as we matured as coaches and we got a lot of the real experts in each of these disciplines coming in and we learned about mobility and and muscle balance and accessory movements i think we've now found ourselves in a much better place what has been your observation of the last you know what has it been you know 15 plus years that you've been involved the uh, like you said the older days of crossfit i liked a lot better you know today's today's crossfit is it's just like every other sport out there it's you know or even corporate you know, a lot of these corporate companies are all following this social fucking narrative. You know, everybody's got to be this way. There's an equality piece. There's all this shit that you got to have the, to, to be a, a, a productive, whatever the fuck it is. It's just annoying. Um, but when it comes to, to CrossFit, I wouldn't necessarily call us a, uh, a CrossFit gym anymore. I mean, we have so many other aspects of fitness out there. And I think it's on, I think that's the part of Greg's message that was missed is that, they didn't want to dictate to a business owner how to run their business. That's why it's an affiliate, not a franchise. And I think there's still a lot of confusion in that where these guys are opening CrossFit gyms and then they're looking to California for direction. And if you look at the CrossFit.com main site now and all the emails, it just comes across now. It feels like they're just trying to push this franchise message. You know, you got to be like us, act like us, you know, work with our people and only these people and work only this insurance company looks very franchisey now versus in the past. The message was, hey, man, it's your business. Run it any way you like. Ooh, I like that. I'm okay with that. I'll affiliate with that. That's cool. That's a good message because I don't want to do be exactly like you. I like your ideas, but I can do them better, 
right? I like the idea of CrossFit, the way that they were, they sponsored first responders and all that type of stuff back in the day, like those types of things I liked. Um, but today I just feel like there's this big push that, you know, we all have to be the same, you know, you, and I still see it to this day. You know, I was invited to all these little Facebook member groups with CrossFit back in the day. And every once in a while you'll see one pop up and somebody's like, Hey guys, you know, if I have a facility and I have a 10 person class, what do you think the best rig is? Bitch, just go buy a fucking rig. Buy the one that fits in your budget. It's not about the rig. It's about what are you doing for your members? You don't need direction and answers from everybody all the time. Like you need to, if you can't answer that question for yourself, get the fuck out of the business. Um, and it's just, but I think that's what a lot of these CrossFit guys that are signing up these days for, to, to start their own CrossFit gyms, they're treating it like a franchise and CrossFit's perfectly happy with that. Okay, cool. Yeah, you want to get treated like a franchise, I'll give you all the information that you want. You can be just like us. Just like us. Well, fuck that. I don't want to be just like anybody. I, when you walk in the door in here, I don't want it to feel like a CrossFit gym. I don't want it to feel like a weightlifting gym or a jujitsu gym. I want it to feel like when you walk in here, this is something different. You have a lot of different things going on in here. What are they? Well, let me tell you about it. I love to tell you about it. And I do. And I sit down and I'm really passionate about all the things, all the pieces that we have working in here. When CrossFit's not the main for us anymore. It's really not. I mean, it's, it's, uh, probably the, the class that we have the most offerings of, but our jujitsu classes are just as important. Our weightlifting classes, your tactical classes, strongman classes, all the different things that we do here are super important as well. They were all CrossFit based originally, but they've all branched out and now we become so much more. And I think that that was the original mentality of CrossFit. Take your business and run it any way you want. We just want to help, right? We just want to be there. Um, you know, use some of our stuff if you need it, but you don't have to. And I feel like now it's feel like it's a little bit too much pushed. You know, have, you have to be this way. And I don't like that. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people feel that way. I mean, as, as we talked about, I hated the fact that they burnt the church down the moment, you know, there was a little upheaval, you know, with Greg and everything because. Yeah, it was bullshit. As, yeah. And, you know, none of us are perfect. We've I all paid my affiliate mistakes. dues early that year because they fired Greg. Mm -hmm. Right. Fuck you, man. What do you mean you fired Greg? Like, that's just, it's just bullshit. Yeah. And you, you know? negate, you know, obviously there was a kind of racial. And it wasn't that. It was the fact that all these guys were, that's what it was. Everybody was de-affiliating. Mm -hmm. They exactly. were de-affiliating because of Greg's message. It was yeah. a racial message, right? Yeah. Oh, it wasn't. So you put a CrossFit in all over the world of countries of different religions, skin tones, yeah. everything. And one, you know, let's say probably ill-timed tweet or misunderstood tweet um, you know, that you're, you're ready to burn everything down. I know that people say, oh, there was more stuff in the background. But again, what I think is one of the biggest problems that we have is none of us are perfect. And what people do right now, and sadly, I think the, the precedent has been set by these shitbags in leadership positions in the country, is we've been groomed to the way that you run a presidential campaign is you say, oh, that guy did that once. Oh, that guy did that once. And okay then we're all pieces of shit if we're going on that versus yeah. hey here's what greg glassman did with crossfit and here's how he's made an impact on the global health and he did this one thing or two things or five things that were a bit shit mm -hmm. but let's look at the other 95 percent of what he's done that's pretty much most human beings like i've got people on, on the show that have, i'm sure have offended people on almost every single episode but it doesn't negate all the good they've done i know i'm sure i you know irk people every time i speak but the principle, you know, the purpose of this whole thing is to stop people getting sick and dying. Right. So it's coming from a good place. Right. And I had, you know, I put a post of uh, 
uh, one of my SEAL friends sent me the Ukrainian president's acceptance speech when he became president. And I put it up. It was a great speech. It was talking about unifying the country. I'm not well-versed in Ukrainian politics, but when I see people like Tim Kennedy and some of those guys going out there and standing side by side and saying there was great leadership, I consider, okay, this person overall is doing a good thing. He's bringing his country together. Some of the, the hate, you know, comments I got from that post, I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know? I mean, people, if you just look for the one thing that someone did wrong, and I don't know, you know, the, the ins and outs of, like I said, of, of Eastern Europe politics, but it seems like it's pretty cut and dry at the moment. One country has gone and invaded the other. One leader is staying with their people to defend it. If you're going to negate, you know, everything that everyone does because of, of mistakes they've made, then that is exactly why we're in so many problems now. You know, and then if you change your mind, if you became a better person, then you're called wishy-washy. Every single human being will do things well and do things not so well. Hate is so easy to spread on that social media challenge channel, though. It's, it's an armchair quarterback disease. It's, it's just ridiculous. You know, to go back to the, the Glassman tweet, you had all these, all these gyms. There's no risk in doing this. This is the part that fucking made me laugh the most is I'm going to de-affiliate from CrossFit. I'm going to de-affiliate. I'm not going to send my, my affiliation dues in for CrossFit. I'm not going to be a CrossFit gym anymore. So, and I saw so many of these people, and there's even a few in this town that said the same bullshit, right? I'm going to de-affiliate from CrossFit. CrossFit doesn't really fucking care because CrossFit knows they're going to do whatever they can PR-wise to fix whatever it was, and you'll be back on board. There was no risk in you saying that saying that you're going to de-affiliate your gym because you already paid your fucking dues. So let's say that this matter happened in April, but you paid your dues in January, right? You've already paid your affiliation dues in, in January, right? And uh, you're still, you're, you're an affiliate for another year. They're not sending you your money back. You're still an affiliate for another year. Well, guess what CrossFit did? They did everything they could to fix it, right? And all these gyms, all of a sudden, Nobody de-affiliated anymore. They all, everything went back to the way they were. And they just, you could go back, if you could go back to that day and pull out all the names of those gyms that, that supposedly were going to de-affiliate, they'd already paid their dues. There was no risk for them to say that kind of shit, right? So when at PR fixed it, now they're a CrossFit gym again. And everybody's fucking happy again. And everybody's moving on and moving forward. It's just this hate spread. It's this like, I want to be like everybody else. And if you're hating on CrossFit, I'm going to hate on CrossFit, right? Or if you don't like this particular instance, I'm going to jump on that. Nobody's authentic anymore. They're not doing their, they're not thinking for themselves. No one thinks for themselves anymore. For me, it was, I liked what Glassman, I thought it was kind of funny. What do you had to say? Whether you fucking like it or not, I thought it was kind of funny. The um, the whole thing got blown out of proportion. It, it created a fucking just avalanche of shit in this country. And the dude made one tweet. Big deal. And we're going to lambast this dude. He took on Coca-Cola as a little scrappy, busted up fucking gymnast with a little crappy fitness company. He took on Coca-Cola every single day and wrangled that thing all the time. And now who's wormed their way into the CrossFit Games? That monster? Monster. Yeah. Exactly. So it's... It's just, it's silly. So I don't know where I'm going with that. But it's like <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, well, let's speak of that for a second, because that's the one thing I want to talk about too. One of the frustrations I've had, I know you share it, is I've watched people train diligently and over several years stay the same weight or even gain weight. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about not being able to out-train a shitty diet and how do we fix the nutrition crisis that we have? 
Wow. How, how to fix the nutrition crisis? I think that going back again to that, everybody wants the flashy next big thing, right? They want to they wanna bounce from one thing to another, to another, to another. They work so hard to ignore the basic facts that things don't have to be that hard. Um, I have people here at Iron Legion that follow our nutrition pro- programs with our nutrition coaches, and they are so basic. They're just simple numbers that you do. And it's a, it's a tracking system, that type of stuff. And just being responsible with your food, nothing, nothing crazy. It's not a beet juice urine diet or some kind of fucking weird thing from some weird country that you have to do with all this flashy name and shit. It's, it's, it's getting people to understand that sometimes the basics work very effectively if you just focus on them and do it in time. I had a conversation with a member here the other day. She was talking about some belly fat she had on the front she wanted to get rid of. And I said, well, have you worked with any of our nutrition coaches yet? I did. I did. It wasn't, it didn't work. I said, well, how long did you do it? I said, she said, four weeks, four weeks. You did four weeks and that was it. Yeah. And I just didn't, I didn't see any results in four weeks. I'm like, well, that's the fucking problem with these guys. Like they want everything in six week windows. They want everything in these little, these quick hit things. And it's just, it's more about discipline and commitment over time and instilling those types of things over time. You see so much more reward reminding people that the results will happen. It's not going to be on your schedule. It's not going to happen. It might not even happen to the wedding that you're trying to plan or those types of things, but like staying dedicated in something for a long period of time is going to be effective, right? Uh, A responsible caloric intake over time is going to be effective. Is four weeks going to get it done for you? No. You know, we have another girl here that, She's just constant bouncing ball of like nutrition programs and fitness programs and all these other types of things. And she's stagnant. She's always stagnant. She's never really changing her body type. Um, we talked to her about nutrition one time. She's like, Oh, is that that program that one of your coaches is running? We're like, yeah. She goes, yeah, I tried that. I, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. And I'm like, well, none of this stuff's going to fucking work for you if you constantly bounce around all over the place. Finding a good, basic, simple to follow program that has common sense attached to it. Believe it or not, will work. It doesn't need black magic. It doesn't need flash. It doesn't need supplementation. It doesn't need all those types of things. It just needs responsibility, dedication, and commitment. And those are fucking free. All those things are free. And you have to put yourself into it. Now, where the cost typically comes in is when you want somebody to hold you accountable. And that's okay. So all of us sometimes need a coach to hold you accountable and that's perfectly fine. But understand that the programs and the things that you're doing are probably going to be pretty basic because they are. The hard part is you being dedicated and committed to them. And that's where the accountability and the cost comes in sometimes. And I think that's where people get hung up. So talk to me about Fenrir's Mayhem because – Firstly, I don't think I've told you this yet. I'm going to be out of the country yet again. It seems to always no. fall away. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I, I think last year I was here and was helping out, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Um, but it does fall kind of usually when I go back to Europe. But that again started in that old building over by the, the, um, the, uh, what was it called? The armory that we were by before. Yeah. So what made you, when, when you normally have, you know, CrossFit competitions, quote unquote, you know, it, it looks very similar. You very, you decided to take a very different kind of path to, to the programming and, and, you know, the themes and all that stuff. So talk to me about the inception and let's talk about this year's. Uh, Fenris Mayhem was thought about in our first year of CrossFit. Um, Ocala at the time didn't really have much of a, uh, a competition scene. 
uh, whereas Orlando and Miami did. And we were traveling around to those places a lot. I was going to, uh, um, I think there was one or two competitions here, but nothing really big. So, um, I wanted to start something that kind of, um, showcased what Iron Legion was about. I liked, like we talked about earlier, the grittier, heavier stuff, um, the barbell based heavy shit. So, um, I started writing an event, creating an event called Fenris Mayhem. Um, actually, a lot of people were like, Oh, you based that off the Vikings show that came out. Cause it was really kind of like almost parallel at the same time. Really, if you do the, the math on it and you look back, actually Fenris Mayhem started before Vikings did. So I win. Um, the, it has a Viking theme to it in the sense just that, um, Fenrir is one of the gods that uh, comes into Ragnarok and just lays waste to the world. So, you know, when we're looking at uh, a lifestyle of, uh, of fitness and a uh, no holds barred style training that we do here, it's very, um, I don't know, almost end of days based. So it has a, uh, that kind of a feel and a vibe Iron Legion does anyway. So Fenris Mayhem, the name in and of itself kind of came from that. The, the styles of workouts were the things that I like to do. When I would do competitions in Miami and Orlando, they were always heavier, grittier, harder competitions that required a lot of, um, mental challenge. It wasn't just a level playing field of reps that everybody could do. It was, I looked at and sought out. <clears throat> high level skills of gymnastics type stuff. I looked for heavy weights, different things that not everybody could do. And those are the competitions that I wanted to sign up for. So when I started creating my own, those are the things that I put together. Uh, people always said, well, you know, you're, you're never going to get crowds of 500, 600,000. You're not going to get Wadapalooza crowds at Fenris Mayhem if you always program like that. And I said, I don't fucking care. I don't care if five people show up. If five people show up, we're all doing what I came up with and the stuff that I want to see. And that's what it's all about. You know, at the end of the day, those five people are doing what they love and they got my back because I created it for them and I gave them that environment and they get to debut some of the hardest challenging things that they've ever done in their life right here in front of everybody. So I think that's really awesome. So we built mayhem based on that fact. And we've had our struggles in our times because challenging is challenging for everyone right so people always want easy people always try to uh you know they'll look at our our events and they'll look at uh rx which is your, your higher level of uh fitness they'll look at that and it's really heavy so they'll downgrade to another another division even though they probably could hang pretty well in, in rx well they don't want to get uh embarrassed so they'll drop down a division and then they end up in like this level playing field of people. And it's just, it's not as fun to watch, but you start getting into your heavier, more elite RX type stuff. You know, that's where we try to get the focus on mayhem. So, um, so it's always got a different component to it. It's a little bit different than your normal competitions, your normal CrossFit competitions out there. The, um, the heavy aspects always going to be there. So this year, uh, we almost shelved it. So it got to where during COVID, nobody was really getting out to events anymore. There was a lot of just chatter, uh, on the social media sites, like, how dare you host competitions when people are getting sick and dying? Apparently they were dying by the droves all around. And I never really saw any bodies in the street, but the way they would talk, it just felt like there would be corners piled up with bodies all over the place, but I never saw that. Um, but it just got frustrating after a while. So we got to where we were just going to close the doors on it. And I started going through some videos earlier this year of 10 years worth of mayhem and watching just 
watching people actually get challenged, looking at their faces, seeing them straining, watching the work and how exciting these events really are. And I was like, you know what? We need this because the weak folk have been running the world for the last couple of years and the strong have been silent because the strong have been working. We've been training. We've been staying tight. We've been staying fit. We've been doing everything that we need to do. We're not the, uh, the squeaky wheel. We're not the fucking complainers. The strong guys are the ones who are just still doing the fucking work. They're still out there. There's still plenty of strong people that aren't buying into all this fucking bullshit. They still have to have a place to be able to debut what they are and what they're training for. And that's what Fender's Mayhem is for. So. Naturally, I was like, fuck it. We're going to do it this year, too. So and we're going to do it big. So we added a couple of new components. So now we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a place for the strong to come back out, uh, train and uh, get ready for an event like something like that. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be fun. It's going to have a lot of gymnastics components, all the cool old shit with mayhem. We're bringing back uh, the kids divisions, different things like that. Some stuff that we shelved. Just parents just got a little out of control. But now we're bringing all that stuff back into and because the original idea of Fenner's Mayhem was to debut what Iron Legion is all about. Iron Legion is a different place now than we were when we first started. We have a lot of other cool shit do- that we're doing now. So this year we're adding our first grappling tournament. So we have Odin's Judgment at Fenner's Mayhem is our uh, first grappling tournament here in Ocala, Florida. It's going to be housed outside on the mats on the stage at Citizen Circle. Um, so you'll be able to compete in that. You won't be able to compete in both. You'll have to pick. You know, if you're going to do Fenner's Mayhem, the functional fitness CrossFit competition, cool, do that. We're also going to have Odin's Judgment going on, which is our grappling competition, jujitsu, uh, nogi, do that. And then we also, the night before, we're going to have our Warriors Call, which is a ruck. We're going to do a 12-hour ruck uh, starting the night before on Friday, and you're going to be able to compete in that as well. And then it'll finish up at the first workout of Fenner's Mayhem on Saturday. So there are a lot of really cool pieces that debut exactly what Iron Legion is all about these days. So with our jujitsu program, our ruck program, our strongman stuff and our CrossFit things, you'll get to see what we're all about at Fenner's Mayhem this year. So that's what it is. They're going to be strongman movements again. There's going to be some bag work in there, some heavy bag work, and there's some yoke work, some stuff like that. So yeah, there's always, always, always going to have some strongman work. Cause that, I mean, we talked about this a few years ago. That was one of the most interesting things. When I teach you know, first responders, obviously there's a lot of sleds, sandbags, you know, carries, drags, pulls, um, and watching as as a as a judge these phenomenal CrossFit athletes doing crazy levels of muscle ups and handstand walks, but then going out and simply carrying a sandbag or pushing or pulling a sled, that was it was like ah okay, and that's what's what's good because those. This, the strongman stuff works so well on the fire ground. A snatch, for example, I don't think translates very well. No. Um, I'm not saying that one is right or wrong, but if you're not doing what I consider human movements, push, pull, carry, drag, climb, right. then that's a huge hole. So if you are a competitive you know, crossfitter, you got to take a step back and go, am I moving way over distance? Because I saw some phenomenal people absolutely fall apart when it came to the strongman stuff. Yeah, it makes me smile every time. It made me smile too. Every a skinny time. little rake. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I let them know well in advance that these things are coming. And sure enough, they don't touch shit until they get to the gym that day of that competition. And then it's like, and then now you're watching them with a 200-pound sandbag trying to figure out how to pick it up off the ground. Like, you didn't think to maybe... 
practice that somewhere before you came here. But no, it's that fucking ego, that athlete ego. I can pick up a 200-pound barbell. I shouldn't have any problem with a bag. Not worried about it. Well, and they come here and, like you say, get their asses handed to them. And then the good ones rally. And they're the fun ones to watch. And when they rally and they pick it up and they pick figure it out, they're cool to watch. It's the ones that they get that mental block where they're like, I don't know how to do this. And they start freaking out on there. Now they're a little bit hard to watch. But yeah. But yeah, I like that type of shit. So and those will always, that component will always be in there. Now, one more thing. I want to talk about Kira in a moment. But just to wrap up the whole strength and conditioning side, right now there's the two Casey's in there Casey, the firefighter, and Casey, the police officer, um, who are working out. But they're one of only a few responders that we have in here. The class that I offer is completely free for anyone in uniform or even someone that used to be in uniform. How do we bring more tactical personnel, more responders and, and military into gyms? Because it seems like it's not just me, whether it's Jeff Nichols or whoever, every coach seems to struggle with, with that, with, with getting people who fundamentally understand that they need to be strong and fit. And I get, and I talk about it all the time, the work week is, is crippling, especially in Marin County at the moment. But what can we do from the gym side to try and bring more people in? Because, I mean, you know, we've spent years trying to figure that out. I, you and I have been talking about it forever. And you and I together have tried everything, right? I mean, everything from free programs to discounted programs to weekends to seminars to, and we still have a lot of those things. And they're just, they're not attended very well. Um, you know, I talked with... Um, I talk to people about it all the time. When I was up in New York with Greg Walsh at Wolf Brigade, we talked about it briefly up there. You know, it's just, and he has a, a similar clientele as ours. He's got a couple of SWAT guys and a couple of high level firefighters, but you're just, you're run of the mill firefighter, you're run of the mill police officer. They're just, they're not coming. Um, and if they do, they don't dedicate for very long. And I don't know if it's, uh, if we got to back up and really look at what appeals to my community anyway. Um, you know, the, the Forging Better Humans podcast that I have is debuting what type of people our training systems at Iron Legion appeal to, right? And they typically appeal to hard-charging, um, elite-level people, not so much athletes, but elite-level people uh, that are walking outside of the, the, the four walls of Iron Legion, right? So you have your business owners are here training. Um, you have... Uh, church pastors that are in here training you have doctors and surgeons people that are operating at a really high level they're they're managers of communities and people they're um they're they're just they're they're running at a different level they're not just now, now we have our regular mom and pops that come in as well that come in and train and we love them too but there's there's a lot there's a large group of very um i call them type a style people but they're just they're uh very effective leaders um, in our local community that use Iron Legion's training systems to better their day-to-day -day life. And I don't think it's any different than, than a person like uh, a SWAT officer that we have here or a high-level firefighter first responder that um, they're pursuing their career, they're super passionate about their career, and they know that they love every aspect of their career. Um, they're going to want to train to be the best that they could possibly be. And they're going to seek out that training wherever they can find it. And typically when they find a place like Iron Legion, it's lockstep in what they want, right? But if they are only going about their day to get through it, 
right? To get their, their insurance benefits. If they're only going about their day to get their hourly check, their insurance benefits, the cool 24 hour, 48 hour off type thing or whatever it is, right? And their true passion isn't lying and becoming, um, very effective in their job, right? As far as it, it, they're not in love with their career, they're probably not going to want to train much harder. They're probably only going to do enough for their job. And it's no different than construction. It's no different than I've seen anywhere else. Um, why? I still get my insurance and my benefits, right? I stroll up to work. I get to shit on company time. Um, I can leave when I'm, when it's time and it's over. I clock out. It's done. I don't have to think about it, right? Not really thinking that, you know, there's a reason you need to train. It's a very physically demanding job. Like we talked about with uh, UPS, they consider themselves industrial athletes. They need to train to be very good at what they do. Um, I'm not saying they train harder or less than, than firefighters and cops, but like, you know, it's, it's, I've, I've only seen, and these are the things that we've been struggling. We talk about a lot. I only see the higher level ones that are a little more self-motivated. They're the ones that gravitate towards the gyms. They're the ones that gravitate towards programs like ours because they know that we can make them better, which in turn, when they leave our facility, they're going to be better at their jobs, which means they're only going to get better all around. They're able to help people more. And that's great. Those are the people we want to help anyway. The general majority of police officers and firefighters and those things that are out there, I want to help you. But if you don't want to start by helping yourself first, I can't help you. So I'm here to help all of you. I want to help everybody get better. But I understand the dynamic now. I understand that it's usually typically the self-motivated type A SWAT level tactical firefighter level type guy that's probably going to take advantage of our systems because they see the reason behind it. They want to be effective at their work. They're passionate about their fucking job. Um, they're not just pulling a check and getting insurance. Feel me? And I'm not insulting anybody. I'm just saying that those are the, that's what I'm seeing. Um, after years of working with you, uh, which I feel like your voice is very loud. It's very national. It's very heard. Um, and we're still not able to pull the majority of people in. So I think that's what it is more than anything else. If these guys uh, are self-motivated, they'll find their way here to Iron Legion. And then when they do, I'm going to turn him into a badass motherfucker because that's my job. Well, you added another kind of layer to it with jujitsu. And again, we talked a lot about some sort of, you know, combat component for a long time, but there was some kind of aligning of the stars. You found some schools and then found a great school. Right. Um, and then, you know, we were able to bring some people here. So talk to me about that because that's, that's not only is it a, you know, an addition to your vision, but when you're talking about improving the first responder professions, especially in law enforcement, I think jujitsu is a much needed piece. It is. And it was something that I was always seeking out the, the, the evolution of fitness, you know, the ultimate level for me in fitness is not just to be strong, but to be capable as well. Not just to be able to pose in a mirror, but to be able to actually effectively use your body. So naturally, fighting is a component of that. It was something that we didn't have, and it's something that I always sought out, and I wanted to add it into my system. Now, being a team builder, um, I'm not I'm not the guy to teach jujitsu, and I'm not going to grab one of my CrossFit coaches and have them teach jujitsu either. I'm going to seek out a professional that does those types of things. So I started delving into different schools and I found different styles and different things that I really didn't like. Um, and then I um, just through some of the people that I'm affiliated with ended up at American combat club in Orlando. And I met the owner there, Mitch. 
And his training style with jujitsu blew me away. It was uh, what I call a complete sentence style of training. It wasn't uh, this Brazilian jujitsu style where it was like, I'm going to teach you a little bit of this and a little bit of this, but I'm not going to show you how it connects in the middle. So you'll have to keep coming for me to, for info. Mitch wasn't like that. He's like, I'll show you from stand up to submission every single fucking step that it takes to learn this particular role that we're doing today. And then we're all going to train it together from the top to the bottom. We're going to do it a couple of times. And I was just blown away by it. Right. And I thought it was one of the coolest styles of training that I'd ever seen. Um, and that he was part of a group that, of guys that I already knew. So uh, we got to kicking it around. We were in Virginia at an event and we created a partnership and we brought them in to Iron Legion has been one of the best things we've ever done because now I have uh, a handful of black belt instructors that can come in from American Combat Club that are high-level instructors that have been doing this forever and they can come in here and work with Iron Legion members that have been here for a while that want to actually learn how to be capable. Um, and it's not making a CrossFit coach teach them movements or having some random blue belt from a, uh, some school local come in and teach my guys. It's you're getting the best of the best of the best that's out there at American Combat Club, black belt level trainers coming in, showing you how to train. And I think that's fucking awesome because we're still small in our jujitsu mindset, right? We're still growing and you get the best trainers that you can get access to at that level. If you go to a, an established jujitsu gym in a bigger city that's been there for a while, um, my experience, you get regulated to different classes. You have an advanced class, you have a beginner class, you have different things. You don't get ex the experience and the exposure that you get at Iron Legion. At Iron Legion, you're coming in as a beginner, but you're getting the ultimate training system. You're learning top to bottom right off the rip. And it's really, really cool. And it's adding to that confidence level for our members. You know, I have CrossFitters that are, that walk in. And they jump on the mats with our jujitsu instructor. And I'll, I'll never forget. He didn't tell me for about six months after he told me, he's like, we were super impressed with your athletes. They didn't know what they were doing, obviously not saying that, but it's, it was their cardio capacity and their endurance and the heart that they had when they hit the mats, when they started doing the live rolls, he says, typically in a martial arts studio, a new guy comes in off the street. We put him on the mats in a live roll. They can't even make it through the first minute and a half of a five minute fucking roll, right? Your guys are hitting all three fucking rolls and standing around. What's next? They had their asses handed to them over and over and over because they don't know what the fuck they're doing, but they're still there and they're still standing on their two feet. He said, it shocked us all. And I'm like, yeah, now we need to understand the technique. I've taught them the strength and the cardio side of it. I've already given them that. Now I needed you guys to show us the fight side of it. And they have. So, and the, this is just this perfect one-two punch of functional fitness, combatives, and different things that we're training in our CrossFit, quote-unquote CrossFit classes, and then transferring them to the mats and now learning jujitsu and the martial arts aspect. It's just been, it's been amazing. And then learning and then talking to a guy like Greg Walsh in New York at Wolf Brigade, who's been doing this for years this combo, it's excellent. This is the way to go. This is where I've been wanting to take this gym for a while, and it's been cool watching it evolve to this point. Now we're here. Um, and our next step is weapons work. So that's coming here pretty soon. I'm interviewing a couple of different instructors that have 
Massad backgrounds, um, different. I thought you said massage backgrounds. Massad, Massad, yeah. So those guys, and we've and a couple of other um, gunsmiths and different things like that that are in the game, and we're trying to narrow it down to a handful of people that come in and do some weapons work with us too. So like that's coming as well. So it's not just you know coming in and doing a work at an Iron Legion, man. I'm trying to make you stronger, more capable, better people all around Um, Americans that like they're worth dying for they're worth they're worth fighting for and that's what i think that this should all be about um we all should be working on our small communities and trying to make the best that we can out of the people that we have around us and living at a different level a different standard a better standard so that's kind of what we're trying to do a few years ago i went and trained with tim kennedy in a gym called uh, atomic legion funny enough um and it was in austin texas okay and they have the same thing they have as a mainly strength conditioning equipment then they have a matted corner but then they also do firearms training and i think that you know when i saw that i was like wow it was amazing but it was several states away so i didn't think anything of it right um but you know kind of similar philosophy but when i spoke to tim recently again i just spoke to dean, dean lister that's one of the things that i've observed even in my gym i mean i am you know brand new blue belt pretty much um you know, get beaten up by a lot of people. But one thing I've noticed is the cardio. Two, three, four rounds in, my limited ability starts becoming better and better because of the fatigue of my opponent. So it really kind of makes me think of uh, the, oh my goodness, the motivation factor, the documentary about the PE program back in the 60s and 70s, well, 50s and 60s, and how this school in California was having such elite athletes and all of their kids but then if they wanted to play baseball, basketball, football, whatever, they didn't have to worry about ramp up strength and conditioning. They just had to teach them how to play the game. Right. And that's kind of how I see this is kind of evolving here is you have that aerobic and strength base and now you're teaching the jiu-jitsu element and or you have someone that maybe walks in with a blue or purple belt and now you can do the opposite. All right, you have a jiu-jitsu base. Let's work more on your strength and conditioning. Right. So, and you know, through Tim, through Dean, I mean, everyone says the same thing. If you're not, if you're just doing jiu-jitsu and there's always that kind of running joke about the purple belts not warming up with us, which is a real thing. <laughs> I've seen it. You know, if, if you're skipping all that, you know, the, the, the stretches and all those things, you're missing a big part of it. Yes, you may be great as a purple belt, but you could be even better if you were fit, strong, and mobile. Yes, Yes, and we completely agree. Terry's on the same mindset. Terry's one of our black belt coaches. Same mindset all the way around. You know, building monsters. You know, not just jujitsu athletes, but just like guys that are super, super capable and well-rounded and strong and healthy and and more bulletproof. Absolutely. Well, I want to hit one more topic before we go to some closing questions. A few years ago, you had a beautiful little girl, Kira, and that brought a whole new kind of community into this gym so talk to me about um you know her birth and then downs for donuts and the down syndrome community she we had kira she's seven years old now and she was an at birth down syndrome diagnosis what i mean by that is we've done all of the uh genetic testing we've done all the things that everybody said we should have done we did we did all of them to, to find out you know whether or not we had a child with down syndrome or any type of anomalies before she was born uh, to be prepared for it and uh, we passed all of those things with flying colors so we were in the hospital when we had her and they, she was immediately taken away from us and put into i don't know what they call that place icu or whatever the scary yeah, place they take yeah where they take babies and <laughs> make their parents cry but anyway the um 
and we didn't have our daughter who we just had for like 12 hours. You know, we, it got to where we were pretty stressed out and scared trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. And, uh, we finally, I had to go knock on the window at the NICU, I guess they called it. And I'm standing here with just toothless Ocala forest type people that were there. Just, I just felt like everything was really strange and I got regulated into, I got treated like I was being an asshole because of the people that were there were being assholes. Um, maybe they were going through some of the same shit as me. I don't know. But at that moment, all I could think about was my kids on the other side of that door. And I haven't heard a fucking word from anybody as to what's going on. Most awful experience that I've ever had. Finally, somebody comes out in a fucking hurry in a huff and, uh, rattles off like six or eight things that, um, they're going through that they're checking on with their, and she might have down syndrome and they shut the fucking door in my face and went back to whatever they were doing. And I'm standing there like, what the fuck, what the fuck did you just say? Like, I'm just, I'm in shock, just in white out shock. Um, and I'm looking around at the people around me and I, I like, I don't know any of these people and I don't know who to talk to, what to say or any of that type of shit. So I turned around and slowly walk back to the room and I explained everything that the person said to me to my wife and to and she instantly just completely went fucking white and started crying and like that's impossible and I'm like I don't know what the fuck is going on babe I really don't um and it was it was I, if I tear up and start crying right now it's just because it that was a very very hard moment for us um when, you know, flash forward a few years before that, we had our son and it was one of the coolest moments. Everybody came to the, to the hospital and we wanted everybody to come and it was super fun. Flowers and balloons, the whole deal. But with her, it was just nothing, right? We didn't know what the fuck was going on and we'd have people calling, Hey, we want to come celebrate. We want to do this stuff. And we're like, you know, we'd rather just be alone right now. And we did. We kind of held everybody off until we figure out what was fucking going on. And I think it took a day or so before they finally came in and, and told us. You know, your kid has Down syndrome and you're like, that's just fucking impossible. I mean, I didn't even really know what it was. Like, I understood what it was, but I didn't know enough about it to like, I just was completely fucking just flabbergasted by the whole thing. And then we had to stay in the hospital for like three or four days because she was struggling with all these issues and problems. And it turned out, you know, she had just normal kid complications, but and she had Down syndrome. So it was tough. And it was a. it was one of those just reckoning moments for us where it was like, what are you, what just happened to our whole life? And just coming here to the gym and our community of people slowly started to find out about it and people would come and talk to us and we just didn't know what to do. And you just instantly start fucking crying and you just instantly didn't know, you know, who to reach out to or what to say. And the hospital didn't have a lot to, to, to offer. And, you know, they were just, it felt cold and, and, uh, terrible it was just a really cold dark terrible time for us and uh i don't know man it was like three or four weeks after that a buddy of mine down in tampa might or um at um um crossfit tas he had a uh a woman there that their son had down syndrome and they were doing an event a charity fundraiser and it was only a couple weeks after we'd had kira and I was like, I, I heard about the, the event through that, something I, I might have never even looked at before, right? But I fucking immediately locked the brakes up, read up on it. And I was like, we're supporting that 100 fucking percent. I don't care what it takes. Now, obviously, we can't make it down there because of what we got going on with Kira. But like, we're going to support that. So that kicked off our first Down for Donuts event. So we started a fundraiser 
a few weeks after Kira was born right here. And uh, the outpouring of support that we got from the gym was super cool. It was super local. Um, but it was one of those things that, I, you know, I was, I didn't know what to do, but I knew that I needed to do something and it couldn't be retract into a fucking hole and feel bad for myself. It wasn't going to be give up on the fucking world and everything that I built. It was find a way to make a world that she could grow up in and not realizing that we were already doing that. Um, we had a hiccup and in, in being surprised that she had Down syndrome, but then realizing that I had already started to create a business and a lifestyle in a world that would be accepting of her and, but not even knowing she was coming. And it was one of the, and then things have just changed since then in that. And I don't even know if they changed. I think there was, we're on the path that we were supposed to be on. Right. And then Kira just fit right into it and she helped keep us involved and helped keep us, um, I don't know, just pulled everybody together tighter and made our family tighter. It made everything just change and got super, super, um, uh, focused. Uh, more refined about doing more for the Down syndrome community. We started an official event. We do it every year now. We raise money for, uh, Gigi's Playhouse and different affiliated charities for Down syndrome awareness. And we do that all the time. And it was one of those things that we probably never would have done before, but now we're, you know, a big part of that. So it's, um, it was, it was a big change, but also oddly enough, I feel like we were on that path for a reason. So. I mean, I remember the first time that, you know, the first event and what was so powerful, like you said, was the community coming together, but also the, the spectrum that evolved, that, it, that, excuse me, the spectrum that exists in the Down syndrome community. So you had people on one side, you know, that the, they were walking through and some of our Down syndrome, you know, athletes were doing WADS. Um, but seeing the support behind that, then I found, uh, I met, um, Nick Nikic, who's the, the Ironman triathlete down in Orlando that I had yeah. on the show. Um, I just shared a friggin' video of a, of a guy hip hop dancing that has Down syndrome. Um, there's an amazing speech by one of the Down syndrome men, um, talking about abortions, you know, and if, if I'd been aborted, I never would have had this life. And he's so articulate and everything. So I think that was a big thing for me was before you think it's this two dimensional thing. Right. And then you realize the Down syndrome. Well, firstly, those men and women are some of the most loving people that we need to learn from. But secondly, there's a diverse spectrum, you know, of, of, I guess, developmental age and physical ability. But then there are also some physical challenges that come with that. You know, I mean, I know with Nick, um, the development of his, you know, connective tissue took a lot longer than you know, most other kids that he probably grew up around. Right. So to get to the high level of athleticism that he had to took a lot longer, you know. So when you compare to when we were young, where sadly a lot of those children probably would have been, you know, sent to a facility, or at least, you know, our parents' generation. Now you have this CrossFit community coming together. And we talked about, you know, inclusion and, and you know, CrossFit spanning all these different areas. You look at the adaptive world now and what CrossFit has done to that. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, veterans that come back missing limbs or people with cerebral palsy or whatever. Uh, you know, as, as scary as that initial moment must have been, the, 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 the love that Kira's birth appeared to have brought, obviously, to your family. But this whole gym mm-hmm. was just incredible i mean i think you know there wasn't a dry eye in the house every time you and got you and uh, karen did your speech at the beginning no we still can't 
go through the whole speeches every year. <laughs> I mean, seven years into it, but it's, it's and that's just it too with Kira. It's just this. She's got this energy with her that. And it doesn't matter what kind of day you're having. You can be have the worst, most shit day. And when she comes and plops herself in your lap and leans her head back on your chest and just, it's just this happy energy that she's always has. Always. It's so rare that she's upset about anything. Um, and if she is, it's probably because her brother was being a jerk about something. But other, outside of that, like she's just this super cool kid. And, um, it, I, it, yeah. Anyway, it's just all around. It, it has been a great thing for the gym, and it's, it's, but it's a great thing that we have this for her. And I understand that, you know, that scenario is not always the case. You know, I, now that we're in that world, you know, I, I see those kids often and there's just a level of, of, um, ne- neglect that breaks your heart sometimes. And you can tell it in the way they wear their clothes or the way that they're, they're talked to or in different things. And it's just, you know, Kira will never do that, but those are the things, and she'll never experience that as long as Karen and I are alive. Um, and those th- think one of the things that I think one of our biggest nightmares is that, you know, if something did happen to the two of us, you know, what kind of life is she going to have? So, you know, it, 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 it allows us to, to be more centered and grounded in our decisions moving forward, um, and not living such a crazy life, um, in that, you know, we want to make sure that we're always going to be there for her. And I think, it, it pays dividends all around, not just for Kira, it's for everybody. So, absolutely. And I think that's the thing I've had, you know, quite a few people on here talking about, you know, the, the vulnerability of some of our special needs men and women. And so we, we have to understand those communities and therefore advocate for them because right. sadly, some of the predators of the world target them. Right. You don't want to target anybody in this place. No, which brings <laughs> us back to what we were talking about right. before being a sheepdog. <laughs> All right. Well, then going to some closing questions. The first one I love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our conversation today or completely unrelated. Um, for me, one of my favorite books, I actually uh, recommended it to Isabel the other day because I recommend it quite often is No Surrender. And it's by Paul Wagner and he's a controversial author. But No Surrender is one of the best books I think that he's written. And it's just like a, it, it's called a field manual for creating work with heart. And, um, you know, I bought her a new copy, gave it to her. And, and, you know, most people that are super close to me that are, that are doing creative work with me, I make sure that I buy them their own individual copy of No Surrender because it is, it is a great manual for how to actually do work from the heart, not from a checklist, not following some bullshit consultant's plan, but it's like how to put your fire and your energy and your passion into every fucking step that that you take, whether it's with your training, your business, your life, your family, any of those types of things. It's an excellent, excellent book. So that would be one that I would recommend the most. Um, But yeah, my boy, most of the people that I hang with are a little controversial, but the book itself is excellent. Beautiful. What about a movie and or documentary? Movies and documentaries. Wow. Favorite movie. You know, it, it sounds cheesy, but I still just go back to 300. I, I go back to 300 for, there's just so many references in that. Cause the book in and of itself, um, Gates of Fire, I think by Stephen, was it Stephen Preston or no? Pressfield, no. I think. Yeah. Pressfield. Yeah. That's an excellent book. If you get an opportunity to read that as well, because it takes the, uh, the, <laughs> it, it, it's crazy how 
a book written like Gates of Fire and then you watch something like 300, how they are very similar in that it's it's a Hollywood take, 300 obviously, but the book in and of itself is just a, a following of of the um, the whole story. So the it's the mindset, it's the mentality, it's the training systems, it's the different things that the Spartans did, it's the honor, the integrity, it's all there. And is it a little over glorified in Hollywood? Sure, in the movie itself, but but it's also I think one of the last movies made like that. Like I think now everything has this social bullshit agenda that you know that's just not it's not about strength and it's not about integrity and honor and confidence anymore. It's about whatever the fucking next thing is. And that's what we're making movies about. That's such bullshit. So like, I, I don't know that I could, I could emulate any, or, or even respect any of the movies that are being made today. I'd say one of the last ones made that was any good was 300. I think it was a really cool, um, take on that book. Not that those two things are related. I doubt they, I doubt they did the 300 set based on the press bill book, but like the two are very related. If you read it, have you ever seen the movie love actually the English film? Mm-mm. So, so English, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a really, really good heartwarming story about community and, you know, how we're ultimately all interrelated. But the kind of love interest of that is this very suave, I forget where he's from. I think it's, you know, South America or somewhere, you know, handsome dude. That's the same guy that plays Xerxes in 300. Oh, when really? I found out, I was like, no fucking way. It's <laughs> <That's> crazy. <laughs> yeah, so a huge look difference. that up. It's crazy. Um, all right. Well, the next question, is there a person that you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest? To I speak? think you should talk to Greg from Wolf Brigade. If you can get a chance to get Greg from Wolf Brigade, that is one of the most intense, interesting people to talk to. Um, he's just a um, – when he uses the, the phrase with training, uh, minimal effective dose – you realize that he uses that in conversation as well. So like when he's talking to you, he's very punctual, very, very, um, to the point, very direct. And the things that he's saying, um, it, it's very impressive. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a cool human to be around. Um, I've introduced him to a couple of people here from Iron Legion that I've met him and they're, he leaves an, an effect. Um, so that would be a really cool person to get on here. He's got a lot of great insight. Um, he comes from a, a, a punk BMX style background. Um, where, you know, the world isn't a very kind place and he's made a very good success owning that, um, and being unapologetically that, um, and it's carried him a long way and he's, he's a very impressive dude to talk to. So, I mean, as far as a guest to get on a, a show, I think Greg would be a good guy. Perfect. Let's make it what happen. Yeah. Brilliant. All right. Well, then the last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you in the gym and Fremers Mayhem, what do you do to decompress? What do I do to decompress? Um, for me, the two things that I love to do the most outside of training is, um, hunting and fishing. Um, and I love, I love hunting. I hunt with my dad. Uh, I like deer hunting. So I've got a couple properties around the South here, but my dad and I fly up to, uh, Michigan. We, we have a family property up there in the upper peninsula. We hunt up there and it's, you know, two foot of snow, wolves running around. It's uh it's the true wild. We don't have electricity. We don't have running water, that type of stuff. So when we go up there, it's a full decompress. Uh, there's no social media. There's no power. There's just the camp stove and the cabin and that's it. So, and then your conversations with your family. So it's a really, really cool place to decompress. The other place I like is, you know, here we live in Florida, so we're surrounded by water. I love to spearfish. So it, it scratches my hunting itch when it's not whitetail season. So I'll go out spearfishing with my buddies. And there's, uh, there's something about 
you know, dropping 80 to 100 foot down in the ocean, complete fucking silence. The only thing that's out there is your bubbles and it's you and whatever you're hunting in your quarry. And you start to learn a lot about how people move, how, how, um, not people, but animals, you know, animals move based on your energy. You start learning, you know, you can, you see a lot of different things in those moments that, while they are fish, you know, fish don't act too much different than deer and deer don't act too much different than people based on how your energy and the way that you approach them. And it's some of the cool things that I like to observe when I'm hunting and fishing. And that's a lot of my decompression type things that I like doing. Brilliant. All right. For people listening, where are the best places to find you and the gym and the competition online? So my stuff is all my personal stuff is at the Swamp Viking um, on Instagram. I know it's a, it's a funny name, but it was, somebody gave it to me and I just thought it was cool. So I stuck with it. But I heard the of Swamp uh, Donkey, but not Swamp, not swamp Donkey. Yes, <laughs> the Swamp Viking. So the Swamp Viking uh, on Instagram. And then uh, Iron Legion Strength and Combat is on uh, Instagram as well. So, or uh, Iron Legion Strength and Combat.com, CrossFit Iron Legion.com. Uh, Fenris Mayhem is our event. Uh, so that's FennersMayhem.com. And there's also Instagram page at FennersMayhem. We do Down for Donuts is our Down Syndrome charity that we do every year. That's uh, at Down for Donuts on uh, Instagram and Facebook. There's a website as well. Grit. Um, we just have, we have a lot of different events out there, but those are our biggest ones. Um, and that's probably where you're going to find me the most with me. You know, if you want to contact me directly, everything, I, I'm really more active on my at, Swamp Viking, the, the Swamp Viking Instagram more than anything else. Just DMs in there. So Brilliant. Well, Ted, I mean, I like I've said, I want to do this for a long time. I think now is the perfect time. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah.